you can literally scatter this stuff like dust or embed it into a sheet of paper. This was commercially released 10 years ago. Um, it's a tiny computer, and it features data pro uh, processing, data storage, wireless comms, and it's probably as close to the true smart dust vision from the early DARPA days as we've come so far. They're designed to harvest energy from the environment around them and to communicate via a mesh network. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, January 20th, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. Well, I apologize for being a little intermittent in the last so many days. I've been dealing with, as I as I let you know before, uh, some, some, you know, I for those that live in places where it snows all the time, you probably make fun of me, but we have had some you know, I think it was about six or seven inches of snow here in Tennessee. And it was, uh, you know, essentially forcing me or rather choosing to stay at home in order to, you know, be safe and so on, but also just because it's difficult to get out. But in the process, there's been a lot of outages. And I, you know, I forget the reasoning behind it, freezing lines or something like that. But the point was, it's been wildly intermittent here. As you guys saw last time I was live, it dropped out in the middle of the show. So unfortunately, I'm still going to, do it from here today. Probably tomorrow I'll go back to the office, but just a heads up today's show. I, I can almost guarantee, I hope it doesn't happen, but I'm all day. The same thing. It's been kind of on and off. I had to get a show out today. So just bear with me. If we do lose connection, just stay on. I will bring it back and no matter how long it takes. So just make sure you, uh, you know, stay with us. Now today is an important show because obviously there's a lot that I haven't gotten to and I, actually, a really important follow-up that I wish that I had during the last show. And today, in general, it's going to be a long one. I'm not going to try to shorten this. I'm going to take my time and go through all the stuff we need to get to. It's probably going to be a longer show. I'm going to start with the Internet of Nano, Internet of Bio Nano Things, which is really concerning. And this is not a new sentiment or topic. We've discussed this before. It's about a new study that I saw Orwell share with me from a post um, from Amazing Polly. And it's a really, really alarming development that's pre-COVID, but that is exactly what we've been concerned about. And, and I mean, to be honest, if you pay attention, these things aren't secret, even though it's conspiracy theory to the average person, but it's stated in public research, there's scientific documentation. So it's not that the actual idea in and of itself is, um, you know, bombshell news, but it's how this overlaps with what we've already been covering and just how incredibly in alarming and, and invasive all of this is. And it's really about turning your body into the communication system and utilizing your body's own natural processes to communicate with the, the nano devices to, with other outside, you know, uh, I mean, devices, the best word, but you know, installations, locations, as well as actual controlling of your body and your body's processes. It's all right in the documentation. It's terrifying to me. So I, I had to follow up on that, but we are going to get into a lot today. I'm going to talk about an interesting overlap of the Patriot Front again. I just saw them marching, and I wanted to make a point about that. We're going to talk about Yemen, 
and an amazing article written by Robert as usual and follow up on what, you know, the, what has happened since we've discussed that topic and some other points I think are really important. An overlap of Iraq and Syria, but both topics to be discussed in regard to Iran and how important this really is, and likely not for the reasons that many, you know, two-party illusionists may think. And we're going to talk about, in general, to the latter half of the show about Israel and Gaza and a lot of the developments there. Very prominent pro-Israel accounts being censored on Twitter, and I think I understand and know why, and I'm going to show you what is being allowed, what's being removed. It's a really important catch and it was, it's, it's been deleted, but we have it on the way back machine, a post by an Israeli government representative saying something that's outland. We'll get to it all. And we're also going to talk about a lot of other developments, something Dan Cohen broke, which is a and real, Jerusalem Post seems to be covering it. But apparently nobody in the corporate West media wants to talk about the fact that Israel gassed using poison gas and a hostage in Gaza. The mother is now calling attention to this, saying he was poisoned and you guys are hiding that information and nobody talks about it. And, and it's, it's incredible. And the first, it shows you that they're using poison gas in civilian areas, but also that they continue to kill their own hostages by the very process they claim is meant to save the hostages. It's absurd. And we have a hell of a lot more to get to than just that. So make sure you stay tuned today. And again, if we drop out, please just hang with us. We'll come back as soon as possible. <clears throat> and again, that's because of the internet connectivity issues here. So I'd like to start with a, I really, really, want this to get more attention. It's so frustrating to me how this topic seems to just get disregarded by so many people. And I don't even mean that in a, like a nefarious way. It's just we're, there's a lot going on in the world. But my God, this was an important interview. Scott C. Smith and I had a discussion on the sixth, on the, uh, excuse me, the 18th, entitled EPA and Norfolk Southern continue to hide East Palestine's dioxin poisoning. And if it, it, it's almost like the story has become so common that's like we you hear the story that well they're 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 still getting sick and they're like oh yeah wasn't that the story a month ago yeah but that it was a month ago and a month before that and a month before that and it is still that story today and not only that it is getting worse after a year people are getting sick er in this town and not every single person and that's the good news he talks about it's not all encompassing it's not the entire area where there is some good news to what he's finding but it is very clear based on his 22 different visits to this town and all of the testing that, oh, and the results, by the way, that align with what Texas A&M found, what multiple other independent testers found, like Andrew Welton, as well as the fact that their own team from the CDC went and seven, half of the team got sick with the symptoms you'd expect if they were suffering from dioxin poisoning, as well as the mixture of the other issues that are there that they're still pretending don't matter. It is absolutely blowing my mind how important the story is, and just nobody seems to talk about it. So Scott Smith is going to be following up, and we get into a lot, by the way, a really important follow-up in regard to all the stuff that I keep telling you. This was just the one we, the interview we had from June 6th, but these topics, the, the confirmation from Scott, who is an expert in this field, that not only are they still continuing to get sick, and that the testing, as I'll just start with this one, is unreal. This was on the 2nd of July from 2023, 14,000, that's not a typo, percent more dioxins being found in the filters of people's homes than in the general control level that even the, what it's like, I think, I think he said it was six parts per trillion. That's the control that you'll find in the background, which by the way, shouldn't be there. That's because your government doesn't care about your health. It's ubiquitous around our country like glyphosate, but 14,000% more than that in their filters in their homes a year later or on July 2nd. and. I, it's nothing on top of the fact that 
We also know, and we can prove this because it was in the hearing and he confirmed this as well, that it was not a controlled burn. It was an uncontrolled burn and that it was unnecessary. He confirmed for me that, yes, and I didn't need this because we already have the data coming from their experts. But Scott himself confirmed that this was treated vinyl chloride. And even more importantly, and this should be huge. He confirmed for us on the record that they knew, I forget the term he used, but that the, the actual material, the, the vinyl chloride was already cooling down. And yet they hid this information from the volunteer fire chief and then pressured him to make a choice, knowing he would choose to do the thing he thought was right without all the information. They made that happen. Now, the real question is why? Why did they want that to happen? Why did they race the train? It could be money. Certainly possible. I quite frankly think there's something much more dark, much, much darker happening here. But they got the train out of the way. They they've laid tracks back over what was there only to dig it back up. And the point is that they're still sending this material all this time later to places we can prove that I can prove because of my work speaking to them on the record that they don't have the capability to even deal with the auctions. Most of the places are burying this stuff. This is guaranteeing this will spread to other states all across Ohio. I mean, guys, this should be the story of the century. Anyway, I just hope you guys will follow this up. Help me get this in front of people. This is important. And Scott's going to continue to do more work. And on top of all of that, he's being hounded and censored and seemingly almost threatened is not the right word, but almost taking action that's meant to make him feel like something's going to happen from the EPA and from um, basically they're working with the the whistleblower group or this, uh, it's all, it's all, all the information is in here. I forget the name of the group off the top of my head, but it's a group that they're, they're trying to FOIA request information. They're trying to call this out as well as the fact they're calling for other whistleblowers to step up firemen that are out there. Good people at the EPA that are only starting to realize that what's going on there, speak up, reach out to myself, to Scott, to anybody. We need you. People in East Palestine are still suffering. I just find that impossible to believe. But then again, Hey, Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water, but I guess we just don't care about these things because two-party paradigm, right? Two-party politics, Trump and migration and immigration, all the wedge issues. Let's ignore the immediacy of all the problems that actually matter, but you know, whatever. So then I'll, I'll include the clean harbors waste disposal, which he confirms yet again is, is a huge scandal that they, this, they use these companies every time. They don't care about your safety, your safety or your health. Now let's talk about in this segment, well, kind of an, a couple quick points overlap COVID-19, you know, the kind of overwhelming obviousness of what's going on regarding the injections and the heart attacks and myocarditis, but how this relates to what we just talked about yesterday. And that's, I actually included this because of this, somebody tagged it down here, but we talked about this, or not, excuse me, not yesterday on the 16th gain of functions, newest brain virus. And I put that in quotes and genetically engineered proteins to control, well, everything. And this is not hyperbole, guys. This is exactly what their science is leaning. And even if you think it's some kind of forward leaning in the next 50 year, it's still what they're telling you. And I quite frankly think they're long past that. I think this has been on the table and actionable for a long time. And if you really want my honest opinion, as I know you're here for, I think it was involved with the COVID-19 deployment of whatever they gave people. That's my personal opinion. I, I see the, everything lining up far too well. But you guys, please come to your conclusions and hear me. I'm not stating that I can prove that. Just my opinion. Now, Chief Nerd po post this uh, yesterday. Increasing 
Oh, he's just reading, by the way, directly from this article, which is hilariously stupid. 18-year-old dies of heart attack at coaching center. Why are youngsters experiencing cardiac arrest and tips to prevent it? We're baffled, guys. We're all, it's always hashtag baffled. That should be the immediate point. But put that out there. We know what you're talking about, right? Oh, and by the way, just a quick shout out. I haven't, I've, you know, been saying all the other reasons what everything's going on. Make sure you don't miss this. We, I, I gave it a shout out with his last article. But right now, Derek is talking and Josh, John Bush are talking. They're involved with the greater reset, the greater reset, and discussing actual solutions. Make sure you check that stuff out. And, by, oh, and, I, and I should say, by the way, since I'm mentioning it, and I'll include this for you guys, if uh, Derek is about to go, oops, at the end of this month, probably I think next week or at the end of this month, going to be going to San Francisco to cover the the what we believe and hope will be the culmination of the fluoride trial. Even though all the data is already public and he's already broken it all for you, fluoride's hurting people. They know this. The dat- Their data shows this. They've just been act- keeping it from people's view. We're, we, we're, we're basically trying to fund the trip in regard to airlines, hotels, and what he's going to be doing there. You know, if you find if you think it's important, all this is going to be going to this specific trip. So please help if you think this is important. I I frankly think this is monumental. Include that for you guys. Now, Chief Nerd shares this, and this is what the article says in regard to war baffled about an 18 year old dying while exercising. It says increasing instances of heart attacks, especially among gym goers, have ignited concerns about the vaccines. Myocarditis? No, none of that stuff. The level of awareness among fitness enthusiasts regarding the appropriate amount of exercise. Are you kidding me? I mean, I almost laughed out loud when I read that. Like, of all things. I mean, it's it's like a no-brainer. Are you actual? It, it's like, okay, it's like when you... I'm trying to think of a good example, like when you're weightlifting, right? Are you, do you blame the weights when you pull your back out? Or is it because of, you know, I guess that's not the best analogy. The point is, all you're literally aiming at is the exercise. Well... Exercise by itself, I guess, could be the only reason. But oh, I, no, I, I even take that back. It's the same way we misunderstand how health works. If you're out there exercising, even if you go way too far, your body is its own limit for the most part. And I guess maybe you could push to some breaking point. But if you have a heart attack, it's usually because there's something else there that the problem that, that was a problem. And the exercise was simply the catalyst that caused it. Not just that you exercise a lot. And if that was the case, we wouldn't just see this weird spike all of a sudden. Are we pretending that people only start exercising more post-COVID? I mean, it's just such a mindlessly, brain-numbingly stupid thing to do. We all see it. Seemingly everybody, including people that no longer take these shots, who swore that we were supposed to, but that don't take them anymore, even though the government tells them to, we all see it. They're just much more quiet about it. The point is, my God, people are dying getting myocarditis, having heart attacks, having thrombosis, having blood clots, all because of this dangerous gene therapy that they gave people that, quite frankly, what we're getting into next, I'm telling you, is overlapped. And I think that whether this was the large test or this was setting up for something else, we'll make all these points today. We have many times before, but my God, I just can't. I I hate to laugh at it because it's so serious. It's an 18-year-old. I mean, um, yeah, dying. From a heart attack while exercising, an 18-year-old. Now, it says, according to medical experts, while regular exercise is undeniably crucial, there are inherent risks associated with it that cannot be ignored. Again, that's not even a fair, accurate statement. 
The inherent risks are what we all already know. Pulled muscles, you could have heat exhaustion, you know, whatever else, but not a heart attack just because you work out too hard. I'm telling you, I, I would argue that that's near, there's something else that caused that, not the exercise. In any case, this is just stupid. Doctors have explained individuals who exercise intensive regimens without proper guidance. Ah, it's your fault, 18-year-old, for not doing it right. Can you believe they went that far? It just, it, it really gives me a physical reaction. That's, it, it's borderline hatred for the people that are willing to push this without, while they know damn well that that's not what's causing it. I mean, it's almost unscientific, right? These are health people that would know better. Anyway, the point is, somebody posted this Pfizer, Trump hugging the vaccine, right? I mean, come on, guys. We got to stop playing this game. You can't, he didn't force it. Well, it doesn't matter. And frankly, he did. It's just a, a word game. But overall, it's just so obviously a, not a, it's your government doing this to you. But Patricia posts this with a link to the time and where I discussed that specific part. But let's talk about this. The gain of function's newest brain virus was the was a recent, um, I didn't include the link, it's in this show itself, but a, a new gain of function work that John Campbell covered where it, it's gain of function. There's no denying this. It's obvious. They, they used a, a, a variation of a coronavirus to make it dangerous, infect humans, and apparently it caused like 100% mortality and caused these very weird anomalous brain issues and brain viruses. What else is doing that? Well, whatever the hell they gave people during COVID-19. I think that there's something more to that. I think it overlaps with, and again, just my gut feeling, in my opinion, with what we're going to talk about next and what we talked about in this show. The weird biosurveillance relayed information, the opening clip. I mean, there's something going on here that I think they're failing to achieve or don't care if it hurts people to get there. And again, this is just one part of it. Like it could very well be the most important and the only thing they care about, but don't take this as this somehow challenges other theories about other things that have happened, origins and so on. This is just, this could very well just be one part in a large multifaceted story. Now we just talked about this. It's one I was going to include. The human brain cloud interface. Now, this is from 2019. Same year of the, what we're going to talk about here. Next. So I just want you to realize that this is something that's new. It's not new. It's on the table. They've been pushing this. And this is this overlaps with Elon Musk, right? Neuralink, all of this stuff. This has been something they have near desperately reaching at for a long time. The technology suddenly is possible. But what they can't seem to achieve, as Whitney Webb has discussed, is even like on the AI side of things, they just can't figure out how to map the human brain. So how do you figure that out? Now, I'm going to come back to this and again in a minute because it's important. But we've talked about this or not this one, uh, this here. Oh, I guess it is next or it's coming up here in a second. We've talked about this where they've openly stated that should they decide that they need to map the brain because it's in, in, in the interest of human society or, or the preservation of our species, well, they would they should do it without you knowing because you won't understand. I've said I've made that point many times. It's publicly stated that multiple studies behind it. There's another one that gets into it. I'll, I'll wait to show you this next. The point, though, is that this is something that they would achieve. Like, I mean, we've they've talked about putting lithium in the water because people are bad or, or actions to stop climate change without you, without your permission or self-spreading vaccines. Cause who cares about informed consent when it's the best interest of society, they keep using this argument and we keep questioning whether they'll do it again. Right? So this was about 
your brain for the podcast, the human brain cloud interface connecting with the cloud. Now, what's scary about this, just in its basic element, these things go both ways. Now, of course, they always pretend, well, no, no, it's, you know, there's protections and we won't share your personal information. But how do we know ultimately what happens here, right? You tap into this cloud and all of a sudden your internal information is suddenly, inner. you know, th this is, we have to think about how this works or at the very least something like that. Now, Amazing Polly shared this. This was on the 18th. While we were sleeping, she says, this is what the telecommunications and satellite people were doing. Intra-bionets. Now, that's the term to remember. That's what they're calling this. I didn't want to include that in the, in the, in the title today because I don't think people would understand what it is. But as she aptly writes, control slash communication between human body and satellites. Now, it goes way, way beyond satellites, which I know she understands. If this is what this is the idea of nanotechnology. Now that's why I played that clip to start, and I'll play it again once we get to it in a second, just so you don't miss it. Just the clip about what we're really talking about here: smart dust. And when he says that in the clip in the opening, this is ten years ago. That was po posted in two thousand fourteen, so that goes back to what two thousand four. Oh, I see it's right here. Nine years ago, right? So essentially twenty years ago is when this was coming out. And I guess I can't say that without. Hold on. This article, which I won't go into in depth again, but you know, there were they blatantly openly stated this in the in the bioconvergence document that in 2002 they said in, they revealed their 20-year plan to alter evolution with nanotechnology. I just find it hard not to see the overlaps. We'll come back to that video in a second. The point though is just realize that it's about nanotechnology, the size of smart dust, the size that you can't see it. It's dust. Now that could already well be in your body. That's my whole point. I don't know why we would even balk at that. It's very, very likely almost. It's real, first of all, but it's likely almost that this would have already been used in some regard. And then how do you stop it? It's self-spreading concepts, but on a technological level, right? So human body, communication control, satellites, but whatever else is circulating in the air in your body, and that is the internet of bio-nano things. Right. Remember, we're in what they call the Internet of Things, where your your refrigerator, if you're ridiculous, is connected to the Internet. Why you would ever want that, I don't know. I mean, I get the nuances of it. The small, hey, you're out of milk. And we're also listening to everything you say and filming you while you walk out in your underwear. But, you know, your milk's low. The point, though, is that this is what we're currently in. The next step is the Internet of Nano Things, right, where it's interconnected with the nanotech. But then once that's internal... Or even more so, my point would be once that it's in, in, used in your body, it's already the internet of nano, bio nano things. But this is taking that a step further. This is not. This is utilizing your own body's processes, your your own body's electrical signals, your hormones, your cells to use the way they communicate. Basically, hijacking it to communicate back out with other nanotech, with other installations, with whoever's tracking the information. Now, this sound this going to sound crazy to people. It's not a joke. It's very real. Thank you, Amazing Polly, for sharing this. Now, here is the link she shared, first of all. <clears throat> Dr. Ian F. Akildiz, interesting name, president and CTO of Truva, Inc. Now, this is from 2019. Here's the actual document going over this. From 2019, we'll come to this next. And this well, this is actually the microbiome gut brain axis, which we're going to talk about. That's 2019. 
I wasn't, I don't actually see a date on this. So at the very least, we know this is current because of what they're discussing. Now she says this was written pre 2020. I just can't seem to find data on there. Either way, I, I agree with that. It's very accurate. Now this says, first of all, just right out of the gate, hollow for all, holo, hollow for all AI enabled real time hologram type communication. All right. So starting with what I argue is the novelty right now, very useful i would imagine in a futuristic idea of being able to like you know in the whole metaverse swing of things being able to project in a real world sense whatever you, you know your body in a 2d hologram that's what they're talking about so you can be at the meeting but be in another country right but you know that's a novelty i argue i mean i don't think I mean, you could be on the phone right so this is about just it's cool to some people but this gets into a lot of invasive stuff how do you do that right how do you map this and biometrics i mean it, it that, but that's not even the point. Just to show you what they're talking about. A, a artificially intelligence enabled real-time holographic telepresence. This one says, this project envisions the 6G wireless. We're already on 6G. Communications as intelligent communication environments. So one of the reasons that they're so desperate to push this forward, 5G, 6G, they need this. Who cares if it hurts you? Because we know that it hurts you. Another great work by Derek Bros and a lot of others. Yeah, they they don't care about 5G. I don't have to play the clip. You've seen it a million times. So we're flying blind here, right? We haven't tested this at all, but let's do it anyway. They've stated this publicly. Here's the main point. This is what Polly was sharing. Heterogeneous intrabody biomolecular communications for the Internet of Bio Nano Things. So the Internet of Bio Nano Things we just went over. This is heterogeneous intrabody biomolecular communications. I mean, my God, is this not exactly what we've been talking about? We've, we've been discussing the Lieber-Langer overlap, the internal biosurveillance, the magno, magnetogenetics, optogenetics. This is exactly what we're worried about. And we already, then we just went over in this show, the ferritin nanoparticle injections they're using, which are utilized in this exact way. And this is the point. They're already using these. They're being tested, if not already being applied publicly the pan-coronavirus ferritin nanoparticle injection. They've got the universal flu ferritin nanoparticle injection. These are all very real. We went over them in this show. They're in, in multiple stages of being utilized right now. The point is, as uh, I can just grab this one. It's an article in 2016 by The Guardian. They called it the genetically engineered magnetoprotein. That's ferritin. It's it basically a protein that has these different iron particles, and they can manipulate that using multiple things, light, electronics, magnets, and through that are able to remotely control the brain. And if you read this, literally remotely control the body of these animals. Think about how crazy that is. I went over this so many times. So the point, hypothetically, if we're talking about them utilizing these things and at the same time discussing where this is all going to be going. Just wait. So it goes on to say the goal of the IntraBioNets project, <clears throat> foundational models of heterogeneous intrabody biomolecular communication network links for the Internet of BioNet of Things, that's the IntraBioNets, is to address fundamental challenges in the development of a self sustainable and biocompatible network infrastructure to interconnect the next generation nanotechnology, the next generation, and synthetic biology-enabled electrical and biological wearable and implantable devices, i.e. the Internet of Bio-Nano Things. 
Remember, I mean, remember the, even the implantable devices was a conspiracy theory during COVID. While the constraints concerning the size, environmental, and biocompatibility faced by these devices greatly reduced the practicality of classical telecommunication solutions, their direct contact with the human body, where the cells naturally communicate to interconnect into networks, the way your body naturally works, suggests the possibility to exploit, I love the word, these biological communications for their interconnection. So the exploiting, and we'll get into more detail in the next one, how your body operates for this communication purpose. They, what they'll state is for your benefit, of course, as always, when it's very rarely the case, if ever. Now, it says, in particular, the IntraBioNets project focuses on the development of a foundational of a foundational models of usable communication channels on top of the biological process processes underlying the microbiome. This is important. Microbiome gut brain axis. That's what this whole thing seems to be aimed at. So clearly the microbiome was, it's very important to health. So now we're going to be talking about using nanotechnology to utilize this system for intercommunication and internal and extra and uh, internal biosurveillance and relaying that information amongst other connective mesh networks and whatever else is cataloging this. Gee, what could go wrong? Composed of the gut microbial community, the gut tissues, the entric nervous system, your intestines, and their intercommunications. Drawing from cutting-edge research in physiology with the aim to realize minimally invasive, heterogeneous, and externally accessible, that's important, electrical molecular communications to transmit information between electrical and biological devices. I mean, it's very clear. It's very, very, very clear. There's no way you can call this conspiracy theory. This is real-time work that I, quite frankly, think is already being tested. They're talking about... Exter- using the internal system of your body, hijacking it essentially, pirating it, if you will, to be able to communicate between the electrical devices. Now, that also means, like we're going to talk about in a second, the smart dust. That's the nano side of it, not just some refrigerator, right? It says the outcome and then with biological devices. Devices. Now, that what's funny about that is that it can either mean a, bio- a device internally which I don't even think you can call that a biological device that I frankly think that just means human beings devices though. We're in the age of the te- of technocracy, right? Transhumanism is the real point. The outcome of this proposal will establish the basis for a completely novel transdisciplinary networking domain at the core of the next generation biomedical systems for pervasive, perpetual and remote healthcare. My God. I mean, that's right on the nose. They're talking about the healthcare aspect of this. Quite frankly, it goes way beyond healthcare, but that's what they're framing it as the next generation of biomedical systems for pervasive, perpetual, and remote healthcare. Is that what you're asking for? To accomplish this goal, the IntraBioNets project brings together an interdisciplinary team of PIs with expertise in molecular communication and nano networks, implantable microelectronics engineering and biological communications modeling and design terrifying so here this is the microbiome gut brain axis and exactly like they discussed as a biomolecular communication network for the internet of bio nano things 2019 right before this all started 
wonder what they were doing and testing, right? I mean, I, I'm not trying to hard to insinuate that too hard. It's just my opinion, but I kind of feel something about this. My, you know, I think that's important to share with you. Now, in the abstract first, it says, in the development, and this is what we're talking about, of a self-sustainable and biocompatible network infrastructure to interconnect the next generation electrical and biological wearable and implantable devices, which they're calling, that just summed up right there, the Internet of Bio Nano Things. It's very clear, I hope. The direct contact of the Internet, which this is the, the little acronym to remember, I-O-B-N-T, Internet of Bio Nano Things, which, by the way, is interesting. That it's You would think that, as I said a second ago, the Internet of Nano Things, and it, it's it's kind of the same thing, right? But the fact that it's explicitly about connecting these two things is it just it's very on the on the nose. It's transhumanism. Why would we need to mesh these things? You could just have nanotechnology and choose to utilize it, right? But it says the direct contact of the Internet of Nano Bio Nano Things devices with the human body, where the cells naturally communicate and organize in a network, suggests the possibility. I think the same as before. The aim the aim of this work is to investigate. I think it's all pretty much the same, minimally invasive, heterogeneous external accessibility to transmit information between these devices through your microbiome gut-brain axis. So it's your brain, I mean, this is so mind-blowing to me, composed of the gut microbial community, the gut tissues, we just read that, a framework to develop the network infrastructure on top of the biological processes. So I just want you to really hear what they're saying. For those that might not think they're you, they're utilizing your natural processes to piggyback, essentially, to be able to send information to communicate control underlying this microbiome gut brain axis and the intercommunications among its components is proposed to implement this framework. The following challenges need to be tackled. First, physical channel models should be developed to quantitatively characterize electrical and molecular communications through the microbiome gut-brain axis. Second, novel technological solutions. Now think about this. This is 2019, right? So these are what we need to deal with. Physical channel models to be developed. How do you do that? Well, you deploy something that's physical. But I'm not saying this is necessarily what happened, but we need to ask whether this is what 2020 was all about. Second was novel technological solutions in the information modulation, coding, and routing should be developed. Well, I keep talking about this, and we come to the place where the technological advancements meet what their planning was. Maybe this already happened. Third, to support these efforts with experimental data. A first-of-a-kind implantable microbiome gut-brain axis network probe device composed of a hub connected to an ensemble of electrical and molecular stimulation and sensing modules should be designed and engineered together with an innovative gut-on-a-chip in vitro model system, right? So don't think of this as some big device. This is a nanotech concept. So my point is, if you want to ask the question, it very well could have been something deployed in these shots, just hypothetically. I know people even just... Even though that's clearly a possibility, no matter how abstract, even just floating that as a possibility, people call conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a hypothetical possibility. And you know damn well that it very it's something that is possible. Now, it says the discussion in this paper establishes the basis for a completely novel transdisciplinary networking domain at the core of the next generation biomedical systems of pervasive, perpetual, and remote healthcare. Now, it says over the last decade, 
the transformative concepts of information processing and propagation in the molecular domain have dramatically reshaped the frontiers of communication and networking research with biomedicine as a natural application field. Now, why would that be? Is that what the natural, the mind naturally goes to when you discuss what we're, you know, I'm trying with the simplest way to frame it, but like all the things we're discussing, the nanotech internal survey. I mean, is that what you immediately go to biomedicine? Does that even seem to make sense to people that are outside this field? Maybe, but I just think it's, especially with the history, we just talked about the toxic toxicity of nanotechnology in and of itself or nanoparticles that they still argue. We don't really know the, the full side effects of just anything that small internally. And yet I, we, we just skip right past that. Didn't know you guys could still see me. Forgot I had this up the whole time. <laughs> I forget whether you guys like that better or not. I quite frankly don't mind. I think I just like the screen being bigger. For the podcast, I had the uh, little side window up there. So it goes on to say, as a result, nanotechnology and biotechnology enabled wearable and implantable devices with ever-increasing biocompatibility. And optional autonomy are being developed in 2019. Right? So we can't pretend like this is not something that is at the very least being built, let alone, as we always point out, when they state this, it's usually been used and applied for 10 years in some military secretive concept. Nanotechnology and biotechnology enabled wearable and implantable devices with operational autonomy. These devices promise to pervasively, perpetually, and precisely sense, process, control, and exchange body health parameters in real time. Now, even if that's all that it is, is that something that we want? Your internal bioinformation just constantly flowing back and forth? That's what we're talking about. And they go, no, Ryan, they promise. They tell you it will be. you can choose to opt out. How often has that worked out for anybody? Now it says, these devices promise to, and I love the terms, they pervasively, perpetually, and precisely sense, process, control, control, that don't miss that, and exchange body health parameters. Now, when you say you can control body health parameters, there's no misunderstanding that. So this could very well be used as a weapon if you really wanted to. Dual use tech as always, and allow remote interrogation. It's all pretty simple and clear, which we classify under the paradigm of the internet of bio nano things. Now, of course, the average person doesn't want to believe this. will tell you you're crazy for considering that these good people fighting for your health would ever do that. Now, I'm not, we, we should, the main point should be, it's very rarely, it, but we saw during COVID that it can be that with the people involved with the research, the barracks of the world, the, the, yeah, um, uh, Dazaks of the world are sometimes the ones doing this are the ones part of it, but usually the scientists aren't usually the ones that make this a problem. It's the military and the government and that the way they apply it. So either way, the simple tech, the possible, the technological possible is there. It's technically possible. We shouldn't be okay with that. This paradigm will enable accurate sensing and control of complex biological dynamics in the human body and eventually and right control and relay and eventually be the basis of the next generation biomedical solutions for unsolved clinical problems, whatever that may be. The baffling heart problem, you know, whatever they want to apply it to. 
<clears throat> the Internet of Bionano Things is envisioned to be a heterogeneous network of electronic and biological devices. Right? So that's like the mesh we're talking about of your random devices, your internal and implantable nanotech deployed inside and outside of the body as shown in this figure. Now, I put one of these in the front, but this is some terrifying stuff. Like, just really understand what they're showing you here. This is the, the engineered immune system cells, engineered your own. I mean, so this this is where you start to realize that you're getting well past the idea of, you know, flirting with transhumanism and quite literally turning yourself into something un, that's no longer considered human, technically. When your own, your internal cells they're using are engineered themselves. Now it says, uh, communicating through different means, ranging from electromagnetic waves and coupling, electrical and mechanical stimulation, to molecular communication. Electronic devices comprise implantable and wearable electronic devices, such as brain implants, pacemakers, smart watches, you know, all the, all the big clunky things that they think you know about. Now, again, maybe that's what they think, but realize we're way, way, way past that, which I'll play for you in a second. It says, whereas biological devices comprise manipulate. This is the thing we were talking about before. Your body is a biological device comprised manipulated natural cell and tissues. So I guess you could argue that they're talking about whatever biological parts of you that they've essentially taken over and are engineered. So those then become the biological devices that comprise what they're saying are manipulated natural cell, so your body cells and tissue, or man-made synthetic ones. So now they're bioengineering, which we know they're working on, your internal cells. And giving you those instead with oh, God knows what other things they can. I mean, this is just so far beyond what most of our minds can even grasp. Such as engineered immune system cells right there. And, and so now they, they're telling you, don't worry, your, your immune system has been destroyed because of COVID. No, it's because the vaccines you took that destroy your immune system. So here you go. We've engineered you some immune cells. Because everybody's struggling from the problem that we are baffled by. No, we this this very well could have been the entire point. Engineered gut microbe microbes and artificial cornea. Now, here, just in case you have missed it thus far, explicitly stated, what they're talking about is artificial communications between wearable and implantable devices and nanotechnology that are realized by exploiting natural biological communications in the body exploiting what your body's natural processes already are to gain what they're trying to accomplish. The focus of the conceptual framework introduced in this paper will be, as we showed you, the microbiome gut-brain axis, where electrical signals propagated through the nervous system are converted to molecular signals that influence the gut microbial communities and vice versa. So what do you think could possibly go wrong by I mean, I can't think of a better word than what I've already used. I'm trying to think of one that's more scientific, but you're you're hijacking the nervous system, which doesn't mean it stops. So they're arguing it still functions, but they're using that system to be able to relay this information. I mean, I, ca I can't even begin to understand what that might do. Look at what they just did with these COVID-19 injections and wonder what they're going to do when they start hijacking your nervous system with some ferritin particles in there. You know, think about what we already talked about. The information propagates by means of natural communication links and interfaces, which are present in the nervous system. So you're already your natural system. The endocrine system, 
So think about that. And we've talked about many times. Now, I don't even begin to understand what this, how this might actually play into it. But we have to remember, we have been overwhelmed with endocrine disrupting chemicals overwhelmed glyphosate i mean everything we've talked about all these pro- it's it's our bodies are being bombarded with things that are 100% affecting your body's hormone system and then i simply asked that this this was the focus at the time on the, uh, june 11th about the i mean interestingly damn quiet conversation now about transgender right as they all quietly backed away from whatever the hell they were trying to I mean it's crazy we i, I will revisit this at some point and how, we have to go back over how alarming it still it hasn't stopped mind you but all the push that's crazy anyway the point is was it causing gender dysphoria and the question is yes not how, we can't know for for sure every time but scientifically the scientific studies that the same group screams at you to trust the science says yeah of course it can and then we're being bombarded the covid injection included as I'll, and I since I said that, here's the one with Dr. Peter McCullough, who makes this exact case that the injection, the COVID nineteen injection, was part of these endocrine disrupting, endocrine disrupting chemicals. He very clearly makes the point that yes, the injection's part of that, right? So the question becomes now back to this. Is that part of the larger manipulation? Have we been bombarded with these things over the last however many years to achieve some kind of setting, right? We're going to talk about many things today, but here's one we talked about with George Webb back on August 6th, AI created drugs, the fake China lab, and specifically being primed with a life switch. Think about how all this stuff connects. Like I'm terrified that this is already happening. The endocrine system. And the immune system, right? So the point, again, was utilizing all of these for this ultimate relay internet of bio nano things. The holistic nature of the microbiome gut axis or microbiome brain gut axis encompasses electrical and molecular communication domains and interfaces between them. The accessibility of this biome from the external environment through the ailmentary canal and the presence of microbial cells, which are genetically programmable as biological devices. Literally telling you, they're they're talking about microbial cells that they're going to be genetically programming. But natural cells, I mean, this is just so terrifying to me to realize the kind of stuff that they're, I mean, this is Frankenstein stuff. Makes this system particularly interesting to explore in the light of the Internet of Bio-Nano Things paradigm. That's what they say. A direct communication with this biome will also provide a large amount of data, of course it will, about the health of the central and autonomous nervous system, as well as the gut. Yeah, just a small byproduct. Of course, we'll be scooping up all the data we possibly can about how these things work so we can manipulate them more. The article discusses the utilization of this microbiome gut-brain axis as an internet of bio-nano things communication network infrastructure to transmit and receive information generated by and or directed to electronic and biological devices where this infrastructure is also envisioned to communicate with the external environment through dedicated molecular and electrical interfaces what's the electrical well the molecular is the the body cells they've manipulated right electrical well that's wireless data transfer through your skin that's right there where have we heard this before? I mean, this is the picture I used today, guys. I mean, look at this terrifying reality. 
this is your body. <laughs> this is your body on the, no, the point is the, you can see what they're talking about. The electro, you have an electron interface, electronic interface. This is now, again, this is the clumsy way we perceive it, not nanotech, which is the same difference, but something that's implanted into your side, which then directly communicates with the, the cloud and all that information gets relayed. And this can control this device. It can kill you. It can operate. It can save you. It can do whatever. All this is happening internally. Now, where have we heard this before? Remember this? Particles for Humanity, right? It was Bill, Bill Gates funded, amongst others. This was 2019, JP Morgan Conference. And what did it talk about? There's Bill Gates funding. Well, vaccination tracking system for high coverage. It talked about time-released particles. So you can just give them one shot, and then over the time, it releases the extra boosters, right? But specifically... One of the solutions on patient medical record embedding vaccination information into your skin, right? You see these steps, and this is 2019. This is the same year that this was being published. Lastly, it says to end this, we present a methodology that, it comp- that comprises both analytical and experimental efforts. The analytical effort builds on top of neuroscience. We just talked about the neuro weapons, the neuro manipulation, and it says bioinformatics to abstract and model with reliable mathematical expressions, the propagation of device-sourced information through biological tissues utilized as communication channels, which include the modeling of, one, electrical communications between devices connected through nerves in the gut muscle, the intestines, and autonomic, uh, the autonomic systems, molecular communications involving biological devices and natural gut microbes through interactions with hormones, meta- uh, metabolites, and neurotransmitters, and three, the heterogeneous electrical and molecular communications interface between the gut and the central nervous system. The experimental effort is based on the design of a unique integrated network probe device composed of a hub connected to an ensemble of electrical and molecular stimulation and sensing interfaces. This probe device is intended to be first utilized as an in vitro environment, which is composed of an innovative gut-on-a-chip system able to co-culture cells that compose the microbiome-gut-brain axis. So the point is these things can essentially hijack other parts of your body once deployed. Then an implantable version of this probe, which explores wireless power, and data transfer technology to establish connectivity with the external environment. It's exactly what I'm concerned about, exactly what they've always been striving for, is to be utilized into laboratory rats to collect in vivo data on this communication. On top of these models and experiments, as part of our methodology, we introduce design elements, opportunities, and challenges to realize the aforementioned network infrastructure. This is, in my opinion, already happening. Now, this, I'll just play this clip for you. This is important because this guy's, we've, I've gone over this many times. This is the maker con. His name is Alice, Alistair Allen, the inevitability of smart dust. Okay. He starts off by talking about, where was it? There. You know, the transition between wearables 1.0 to wearables 2.0. And that's exactly what we're talking about. So all so nine years ago, he's talking about the wearables and implantables 
like they're discussing in 2019 as the current reality. Just think about how insulting that is. In 2000 or in nine years ago, he was pointing about 10 years before that and discussing the smart dust. So if we're discuss why, why in that whole breakdown would they be discussing things like your smart watches and your implantable pacemakers when they damn well know the Internet of Bio Nano things is specifically tailored towards nanotechnology? I think it's because they don't. I mean, it's from even from the scientific level, why would they keep that from your view? And here's just the quick clip I played. Please watch this whole thing. It's only 20 minutes long, where he discusses how and this it's incredibly alarming. This is the point is what he's showing you here was 20 years ago. He says 10 in the video. It's a 10-year-old video. You can literally scatter this stuff like dust or embed it into a sheet of paper. This was commercially released 10 years ago. Um, it's a tiny computer, and it features data pro uh, processing, data storage, wireless comms, and it's probably as close to the true smart dust vision from the early DARPA days as we've come so far. They're designed to harvest energy from the environment around them and to communicate via mesh network. Exactly like what we're talking about. Now, he goes over a lot of different discussions about the size and what can be done and, and the fact that it runs off your own body's processes. Is, is this not the step one to exactly what they're discussing here? So, again, right on time. 2022, 2002, their plan in 20 years to alter evolution with nanotechnology. So we talked about this a second ago. So the point is, well, they're, you know, why their argument would be that this is in the interest of everybody's health. So we should just do it without you knowing because you won't understand. Orwell shared this with me today. Moral enhancement can kill. An interesting step. Uh, this is actually before that post, because that 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 argument's been made for a long time. But it's interesting, this ad. It says there is a recent empirical, there is recent empirical evidence. That personality ident personal identity is constituted by one's moral traits. If true, being, you know, being your morality or integrity, if true, it says, this poses a problem for those who advocate for moral enhancement. That's this. Specifically, in this case, moral bio-enhancement. Because this we could be talking about, you know, giving somebody lithium in their water without them knowing it. That's a moral enhancement. They argue it would make you more docile or more enhanced, whatever. This is about bio-enhancement. So that's about the, the nanotechnology or changing your... I mean, I guess you could kind of overlap the two, but the point here is they're simply saying that they're arguing your moral traits are what make you who you are. So if true, it poses a problem for those who advocate for do this or the manipulation of a person's moral traits through pharmaceutical or other biological means. It says specifically, if moral enhancement manipulates a person's moral traits and those moral traits constitute their identity, well, then it's a it's possible that moral enhancement could alter a person's identity, which, quite frankly, is exactly what they want, guys. It says, I go a step further and argue that under the right conditions, moral enhancement can kill the subject of the enhancement. I then argue that these conditions are not remote. The point is not actual mer like death, but that you just don't exist as the same person anymore. It's kind of terrifying. So all of that, I think, is important that we do not miss that we are in this already. And we, are, and we are still pointing at big clunky chips and wearables when in reality, guys, this is already in front of us. And I am just terrified that this is already happening. And in an, or just the point is when they decide to pull that trigger, that we won't know. Or if it does, the self-spreading concept or the idea of smart dust is not something that I argue they can control anyway.
Not in the sense that it would, you know, it's applicable to anybody who simply breathes it in. So let's go to the next part of this. And you may have seen this circulating. It's not actually a new story, but I wanted to make sure we went over this. Denver Health Medical Team receives Ebola vaccine. Now it's being kind of discussed as like people being given Ebola. It's, it is a live vaccine. And I'll show you why that's pretty terrifying. But this is from November 28th. That's strange. Hold on. I don't really need it, but. Yeah, I don't need it. I was going to refresh it to bring the highlighting back, but I I remember what it was. The the point is this from November 28th, right? Last year. So it's, it's months old here. So it's interesting that it's suddenly grabbing attention. But what I think is even more interesting is the overlap, which I'll show you in a second, in a lot of different ways with Ebola and the COVID-19 conversation, disease X, and all this stuff. Now, it's just a few medical employees at Denver Health in November of 2023 made history as some of the first people to receive the live, which I don't even know why that's being given in any case, any of them. Nobody should be taking these live injections anymore because it's very clear that they spread. That's undeniable at this point. The smallpox one we've talked about, I mean, these are very real, and I'll show you in this one specifically from their own data. But it says a live Ebola vaccine for preventative measures. But see, this is where it gets ridiculous to me. It says Ebola is a rare but deadly disease. And don't forget Dr. Boyle, the the drafter of the weapon biowarfare act they still use, argues that all of these are deployed weapons, that they're but that they're dual use tech and that these every Ebola outbreak he's in Africa is a stone's throw away from a US lab. That's his opinion, but I agree with him. He it says a major outbreak in West Africa led to some cases in the United States. Now this was not recent. While there are no known outbreaks in the world right now or today, not November, not today, members of Denver's health high-risk infection team said they are some of the first to receive the live vaccine as a way to prepare in the event of a future outbreak? Okay. We have to start applying our basic logic, deductive logic to this. Okay, first of all, they're claiming it's because of this previous outbreak. So they want to be prepared, right? Well, then why didn't you do it right then? Right? Why did you wait a year, months or a year to suddenly go, well, I'm going to be prepared today. So what's the impetus for that? Did you just forget until now and you realize you should have done it the whole time? My point is, if this was the logic, and I'm not saying I agree with this, if the logic is we should do this, then they would have done this a long time ago. So it doesn't really make sense. This just suddenly gets given out, this weird spur of the moment thing to be prepared for something that doesn't even seem to be coming. Right? They're, they're saying there's no outbreak. There's no indication we're having cases coming in. There's no reason to think right now this is needed or in November that it was needed. So it does very much make me suspicious. Now it says that even though there are no current outbreaks in the world, we want to make sure that people have the chance to be protected in case we need to take care of a patient that has a disease with a more t- Okay, well then why wouldn't you give them the smallpox vaccine? Is it the same logic? Doesn't make any sense. And most of these, Ebola, smallpox, they're pretty dangerous injections. They have a lot of problems, but they always argue, well, it's so deadly that the benefits outweigh the risks. Which, why not just take the time to make it better? (laughs) Probably because they can't. But either way, the point is, why don't you give them the rest of them? I don't think they should. My point is the logic is inconsistent. So it tells me that there's something else going on here. In 2014, let's see. I think it's just the bottom here. It says, as for how long the Ebola vaccine lasts, and this is an important part, it's all it's in all the documentation I'll show you next. They don't know. It says they don't, they just don't know how long it lasts. 
but they're just going to give one for now. It says right now, <laughs> one. The vaccine they receive, which is Irvibo, uh, is the only is only available to frontline workers for now, right? Until they argue, until people clamor that we need it, the what they what that guy call it the neuro weapons discussion, the uh, oh, uh, the the worried well, right? These people will sprint in and be like, "I have the sniffles. I need that vaccine." That's what you're going to start to see when they float these ideas like that. Now, here is the actual FDA documentation for this. Or Evorbo or Irvibo. They just cut to the chase. Limitations of use. The duration of protection is unknown. Not even a frame. Like, not like for usually this many times. I argue, guys, that this is the same kind of concern that we've seen before. This, I mean, for. I mean, I don't want to lean too hard into the unknowns here, but you know exactly our concerns about the entire vaccinology, vaccination process and program. I've been made it same point many times. I'm at this point, I am terrified and resistant to any of it simply because I don't trust the intent behind the people that are pushing these things out. You know, that very, that very well could be a possibility. Should what we under what we understand about the technology, should that be correct? We should question that. I don't know why we would take anything at face value. If what they tell us is the accurate scenario of the technology, well, I argue that it could be applied in a way that might help some people as long as it's a very clear choice and not pushed at anybody. But that could be enough, that could be wrong. My point, though, is that I just don't trust the intent, so I don't know why anybody would take these. But the, the problems about the lasting, I mean, there's so many issues that overlap with all these previous programs. And then it says it does not protect against other species of Ebola or Marburg virus. So. How do they know which one? Think about how dumb that is, right? So you're literally giving them a shot for something based on something that happened that isn't very well could be a new variant, right? Based on their logic, but you give them this when there's not the reason to get, like just in case that's the one that comes across. None of this is logical, just like the same with the gain of function research. And then we have transmission. First, then we have shedding, but transmission first. Virus, vaccine virus RNA has been detected by PCR in blood, saliva, urine, and fluid from skin vesicles of vaccinated individuals. What in the hell? Why would you ever give something that could potentially give somebody else Ebola? That's not a joke. Transmission of vaccine virus is a theoretical possibility. It says it right there. Transmission of vaccine virus. Ebola. What they're talking about is a theoretic poss- theoretical possibility. I mean, I just don't even understand that. And then here's the craziest part. Shedding, which, by the way, is the same point with any other live vaccine we've talked about. The, ver- the percentages may vary, and why we would trust what they say anyway is beyond me. Shedding a vaccine virus. And uh, for that same point, by the way, question whether this is all lies. Maybe this is not even real. Some people that are talking about the virus uh, Terrain concept would argue that all of this is probably some ploy to push whatever. So question all of it, right? But nonetheless, there's this is the, the what we talked we talked about many times. David Martin and I had the same point. We both agreed on the idea of arguing from within their narrative. Right. So they have this stated. This is what they put out as the current information about what they're giving. So whether it's real or not, think about how mind-blowing it is that it can state that they you take this, you could give somebody Ebola and they give it anyway. It says shedding of vaccine virus into the urine or saliva was evaluated in 359 participants enrolled in eight different clinical studies. 
who were vaccinated with specifically Ervibo or lower dose formulations. Vaccine virus RNA was in fact detected, as it said up there, in urine, saliva, and some participants at time points ranging from day one through day 14 post-vaccination. Now, that's PCR test. So that very well could be completely ridiculously wrong. But in any case, my point is, this is what they have stated as the reality, and they're giving it anyway. It says, in the three studies that assessed shedding at day 28, no samples tested positive. In study six, 31.7%, of participants, 12 months through 17 age, 12 months through 17 years of age, 12 months, my God, enrolled in the sub-study shed vaccine virus in saliva following vaccination. So you have examples of tests where it didn't, but 30% in one of them. Viral shedding was greatest on day seven and declined thereafter, with no shedding detected at day 28. Vaccine virus RNA was detected by PCR at the same point. I just think that's wild. Now, of course, when you read this, it's all the same points we make from all the rest of them. So should this eventually become something they push? It hasn't been tested on pregnant people. It hasn't been tested to find out if it's in the milk of breastfeeding women. It hasn't, you know, immunocompromised or deaf or all the same things we talk about. It's usually how this works. And yet when it becomes a problem, they'll push it on pregnant people, just like they did with COVID-19. I hope that does not happen. Now, I'll also include the FDA page, which is all the other links, just, you know, the broad page you can look at for yourself. And this is where I find this interesting. So overall, my concern of that is just the fact that it's happening, the fact that it's obvious that it could get other people sick just by using it, and then very well could then become something they utilize to push everything we're talking about today, including the new nanotech microbiome control system. Either way, that's alarming. The question then becomes, is it something that is just a reflexive reaction by somebody trying to gain attention or that they think is the right thing to do? Tough for you to decide, and time will tell, unfortunately. But I think all of this is the way we should be looking at this and concerned about it. Political B shares this. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt on stage with CEO of Pfizer, Albert Borla, at the 2024 World Economic Forum annual meeting. Of the next pandemic, we don't want to have to wait a year before we get the vaccine. And if AI can shrink the time it takes to get that vaccine to, to a month, then that is a massive step forward for humanity. So perfect. So artificially, artificial intelligence used to create the next thing. It's, 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 now, that's, that's, by the way, overlap with the platform discussion. So all of these things are going in a, rapidly away from what even the classic system from before, which was wildly flawed, just like we're talking about, but with less testing, with less control, <laughs> which is mind-blowing. But the platform system we watched fail during COVID-19. They're still you with the illusion they're in. They're still using it. They're still mapping on the same platform system with the modified RNA. It's all, all these new shots are in the works. I mean, Biden even said he's got like something like eight or 10 different COVID injections being worked on. Why? This is mind blowing. What he's talking about, though, is we'll also use artificial intelligence to rapidly push these out even faster. I mean, it's crazy. And again, we just talked about this in August 6th with George Webb, AI created drugs and the being primed with a life switch. We also talked about on October 31st, 2022, the Tesla vaccine RNA micro factories. Remember that? So Elon overlap with making these things for the future of these platform drugs, but also the Gates funded time release micro particles. All right. That's the thing we showed you with the particles for humanity. 
that all of this seems to kind of overlap in the same direction. Now, Dr. Jason Dean, who I'm not familiar with, shared this, and I just think it's an interesting point. He says, I have a researcher I've been speaking with. This will most likely be next, in his opinion, and they have a list of them. He says, he hopes he's wrong, or he hopes he's wrong. It says it's most likely called TARS, Transmissible Acute Respiratory Syndrome. But what's interesting is this is at the beginning of COVID-19, this name was floated. He says, don't panic, don't get scared. These are not natural. They are manufactured gain-of-function bioweapons. That seems to be the pretty predominant opinion right now. The bioweapon was created to take advantage, use the manufactured spike protein, patent attached in the study, in order to infect a genome with Marburg or Ebola qualities, along with bacterial toxins. It's tri- uh, chimeric and designed for a maximum maximum fatality. We did test it already, and it's testing for at least five different bacterial-like frequencies. Interesting. Now, I can't really confirm his statements in that, but here's the study he points to. I just think it's interesting, the timing of these conversations with the Ebola injections and how that very clearly overlaps with all the different things we've talked about all the way, even before COVID-19. Here's the actual study. Oh, I did have it highlighted, but I guess, I don't know why that stopped working today. The first, Disease X is caused by a highly transmissible acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus. I think I remember what it was, but it's just based on the announcement of the WHO in 2018, which kind of confused me at first. What they're actually talking about is the announcement in 2018 of the hypothetical disease X. The same thing they're doing right now, mind you, which by the way, weirdly prefaced exactly what later happened. They said because of that announcement, the Wuhan pneumonia caused by an unknown, they're talking about the COVID-19 discussion, or rather SARS-CoV-2, should be recognized as the first disease X, right? So in 2020, they came up and said, that's the, that's, that's disease X. How would they know that in two, in, in the, in, at the time in June of 2020? I mean, it's interesting, right? I think there's foreknowledge. I think we're all beginning to understand. It says later the pathogen was identified to be a novel coronavirus. That's when they called it 2019 NCOV, which again, which, oh, I, I think I closed it. I had the I thought I had that open. In any case, uh, it's that that's SARS-CoV-2, where they renamed it. But it says, which has, they claim, a close relation to what the SARS and from before. But it says, here we suggest renaming, in 2020, in June, what became SARS-CoV-2 as Transmissible Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus, or TARS, COV. Interesting, right? Now, in any case, the point is he's saying that that's what he thinks. He's predicting that that will be the next term that's used. Very interesting either way. Now, just, just food for thought. Because I do I worry about how this plays out and the overlap with these discussions, Ebola and so on. Now, all of that, I really do think is super important. Like wh- what they're currently pushing, the fact that they're still using failed systems on and, and standing on these failed systems to push the new invasive interconnected system like the internet of nanobio things under the same guys that this is what's in your interest for your health and the interest of society when so far they don't seem to hit the mark too often now let's get into a quick point about the patriot front and let's talk about some foreign policy here that i think is important this came out today it just keeps happening it's so this group I, it's so ridiculous and they're, they're back to the fbi killers now the khakis and everything else I, just so we understand that I've broken this, you know, it's very possible that everyone in the group, average people believe what they're doing, but it's, I've proven that the people in leading this are directly tied to the Azov movement. 
right? And our and of course, now they're holding signs that say Zionists in the government. Isn't that too convenient? Which is very real, by the way. But the idea that that's what they're pushing, because then, of course, they can argue it's all racism and anti-Jew hate and all the things. It's just, it's just, it's too exact, right? Now, we've gone over this. The Patriot Front, January 6th, and the Vanilla ISIS PSYOP, all the very clear evidence, the way the, the police handle them, or rather, don't do what they're supposed to. So they're, 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 you know, from taking off their masks or whatever else, they, it's, and or loading them back into the yard of the, U-Hauls, letting them, I mean, all the different things we've covered show you that there's some weird dynamic going on here, but that's not even the most important part, important part. The leaders of this movement are directly tied back to the Azov movement, which is directly controlled and influenced by the U.S. government in Israel and other groups involved. It's not even hypothetical. As I wrote in this article, or this show, March 30th, 2022, not just Azov. Documents prove the CIA has been cultivating fascism in Ukraine since at least 1948 starting with the Ukrainian organiz- U- Organization for Ukrainian Nationalists, which was a fascist entity. And they that is what became later in these different groups, and one of them is the Azov Movement, which has now overtaken the country. The point, that is directly connected. Now I'm going to show you why I think that's important. Now, this is just showing them marching around, being the manipulated group that s- achieves whatever end they're supposed to, in my opinion. And it's very ridiculous. This says 90 to 150 People identified as the Patriot Front and recognized as a right-wing organization are advancing towards 9-11 World Trade Center. Of course, the point here, as I've shown you many times, Haaretz, 2018, talking about why Israel's arming neo-Nazis. That seems confusing unless you understand what Zionism really is, right? And this is about the U- Israel arming the Azov militia. Even more importantly, if you pretend that suddenly they're not the crazy Nazis that they used to be, well, this is 2018 when everyone in the corporate media was going, they're all Nazis. They're all dangerous. So ask yourself why Israel was arming them because this is exactly what we're showing you. This is not real. They're using this against Russia. They're using this to achieve these exact ends, which was, I'll actually include this one too. Both these. January 6th, the failed false flag meant to blame Russia and you using the CIA grown Azov battalion, right? So if they flood these things, you know, the, the extremism that they want to pretend Russia is seeding, they can use that to achieve their ends in this country and manipulate you and censor you, as well as the other follow-up. January 6th was always a very clear government operation, you know, from Antifa on the record going, we did it, we got him. Or this guy's name is Sergei B- uh, uh, Binion, who is an, a provable in this show we go over it member of the azov movement who is literally next to jake chansley here and he's on the record in a video filming saying let's go let's go in guys go into the capital in russian even though he's ukrainian very clearly this was all meant to be exactly what we lined up it's very very obvious all of this connects israel arming them as well as hamas right israel is have been arming hamas for a very long time we, it's amazing that people still dismiss this. Here is when Haaretz shared this two days after October 7th and just made it very clear that this is what Netanyahu said. Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of Palestinian state, which I'll get to later in the show, they've now been explicitly open about, has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. This is part of our strategy. They still act like that's not true. It's publicly stated. It's very, very clear. 
So the point is, they're arming the Azov movement. They're arming Hamas. To what end? This is controlled opposition, guys. That's what we're talking about. So the point is, and this is a screenshot somebody shared with me. Thank you for catching this. They keep pushing this right now. Only a matter of time. Only a matter of times. That's ridiculous. Of course, they would misspell it. Until Hamas hits small town America. See, this is what the point was always about. They just shifted away from the Azov stuff to something else. But it's all the same entities and the same manipulation. CIA, Mossad, overlap. They're telling you this entity is going to come to your doorstep, which is ridiculous. Not in the sense that they won't do that and say that's what's happening. But the idea that a natural or, you know, whatever you want to call it, a group in an open air prison in controlled, occupied Palestine of 30,000 strong people is somehow going to be attacking countries. It's ridiculous. Because it's, and don't forget, even Netanyahu's almost openly threatened that that's what will happen if they don't let him do what he's going to do. Then you see this person going, oh my gosh, we're in D.C. And look, there's an armed guy wearing a Kasim Brigade's patch. A Hamas terror group. No, no. I mean, the idea that this this is not even remotely the right statement to make about them anymore, but the idea is clearly is something that we should be questioning and how, whether it's entities that are controlled by Israel or whether it's groups that are now fighting for the Palestinian resistance. The point is, I don't buy that for a second. Are we really going to pretend that there's a member of Hamas floating around in D.C.? I mean, it's certainly possible, I guess. But then if we if that is happening, we need to ask why that was allowed. Aren't they a terror group? How do they fly in? How is this, you know, or why is Israel controlling the leadership in Qatar and working with them to mediate discussions? I mean, everything about this screams that we're being set up. And I wanted to make sure we saw that as we see Patriot Front marching through with signs to say Zionism in the country, Air America. Where is it right there? Zionism in the government. All of this overlaps to the same groups funded by the same people, and it's all being used, in my opinion, the the war on domestic terrorism and all these floated ideas to make you think that your neighbor is the enemy or anybody that is currently calling Israel, calling out Israel's genocide is suddenly a terrorist. Mark my words. I believe alarmingly that something like this is going to be made to happen or at the very least a false flag entity or effort to be able to to swing opinion when they desperately need it. I doubt it will work. And then lastly, on the point of Ukraine, before we finish on some foreign policy, Yemen, Iraq, Israel, I found this really interesting. Sputnik shared this. This was on the 16th. This is a a representative, a, a Estonian conservative, talking about what's going on in Ukraine. Now, of course, everyone's distracted by other things and not even caring about how they've just given up on the thing they told you was gonna, the only thing that mattered. And if we don't do this exactly the way we say, Russia's going to take over the world. Oh, look over there. We're distracted now. So who cares? Okay, so you don't care that Russia's going to take over the world? Or was that never true? I think you get the point. Obviously, if they thought Russia was, if we don't do, do this, they'll take over the world, they wouldn't just shift into another point. It's, they lie. They lie to you about everything, guys. It's ridiculous, just like they're lying to you about what they claim Israel is not doing right now. But this says over 800,000 Ukrainian men are in Europe because they illegally escaped. (laughs) That sounds like a democracy to me, right? The point is Ukrainians were fleeing because they knew they were going to be put into war with with barely enough to... to, They're ill-equipped, fighting a war they don't care about, 
because this is not about anything other than control from the Western powers. Last week, we had a honor to welcome Mr. Zelensky in Tallinn, and he said very clearly, they need men. They need more men because thousands of men have died, also from the Ukrainian side. But in Well, if they need more men because they've all died, well, doesn't that clearly indicate that they're losing? <laughs> That's probably why they don't want to pay attention anymore. Europe, we have almost 800,000 Ukrainian men who have illegally, breaking the Ukrainian laws, escaped from Ukraine. So Ukrainian men who don't want to take part in the war broke the law? I mean, I guess you could argue that conscription or, or the draft is something that used to happen, but it's pretty damn archaic, isn't it? At the very least, it shows you that this huge portion of people, probably most of them, don't want to fight for a war they don't believe in. As a cowards. And we need to help Ukraine with a toast man and also with a military aid that they will not die in Ukraine, that they will fight for Ukraine and they Please will win this come war. To the end. Thank you so much. But it was an important point, I think. Right. So we're going to forcefully deport these people to go back and fight. Right. Because we care about what exactly? Fun, supporting neo-Nazis to allow them to continue their genocide against the Donbass people. Right. Or, or, or what? Stopping Russia from doing something they claim they're not doing which there's no evidence to indicate they ever will, but the Azov movement publicly states they're going to do what you say Russia wants to do as soon as they have control. All of this is just so childishly obvious. And I think, quite frankly, everybody sees through this today. I've been seeing that for a long time, but not until Israel's part of this with the Gaza genocide do people start to fully see what I'm talking about. Now, Robert wrote an outstanding article about Yemen. To simplify, make sure you read this. It's a great article. Why the U.S.-U.K. attack on the Houthis. And he makes a good point. I still use the Houthis because most people don't, un, don't know the Ansarallah movement. But that is, in fact, the, the real name. And we should start using that to be accurate. The Houthis is a U.S. term they use to, or a Western term. The Houthi rebels, they use it to delegitimize that it is a real entity. That is popular support from the people of Yemen. That ultimately is the, this is the, the government, a state apparatus. And as he writes in the article, the only state as a, standing up as a state in the world supporting from their state apparatus, Gaza and Palestine. And so the point is that what he's saying is it was an act of war on Yemen, not some targeted attack on some rebels. This was an act of war against the state of Yemen because they want to stop the genocide. And that's exactly what's happening. And it also shows you without question, these are some weak people you're looking at. Like, think about how alarming it is and how crazy it is to be, first of all, starving a country for over a decade, blockading it in the same illegal way that everyone's talking about over here, which it's been going on for a decade or more. We've interviewed Hussein al-Bukhadi more than once about what's going on there like years ago. But they have been attacking and starving and bombing and, and using biological weapons, you know, to be specific attacking and doing certain things to create the conditions that cause cholera intentionally. The corporate media couldn't care less. They don't, have a, they don't say a peep about this. That never really stopped, mind you. But suddenly they bomb them and the media falls all over themselves to stand up and scream about how bad Yemen is. Interesting how they couldn't care about the tens of thousands of civilians being killed because of what they're doing. That just shows you how feckless and cowardly they are. But also, and I meant the corporate media, but also these two people right here. Sunek, Biden, because what did they do? Well, they said, stop. And the Yemeni said, well, you, you stop supporting the genocide and we'll let everything go back to normal. 
And they had a little back and forth with the Red Sea. They bombed them to stop that from happening. They say we did it, but it didn't stop them because it didn't actually stop what they were doing. So what do they do in an act of just childish frustration? Just bomb the country and kill civilians along with with parts of the Ansarallah movement. I mean, it's just think about how obviously on the surface weak that is. You're you're using your that that is a bully. You're powerful to a degree. And that's it. So just like the classic saying, right? If you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. That's all they have. Read it. It's an important article. Now, on top of that, uh, Belgium cowardly steps in and joins the Red Sea operation against the Ansarallah movement, the Houthis. But that's all they got, right? So I guess what the U.S., the U.K., and Belgium now, because everybody else pretty much backed away. Interestingly enough, and this is exactly what, how long have we been talking about this? This, guys, is exactly, I mean, in a way, and again, just like the other conversation, this is, it's never just one thing. There's, it's always multifaceted, whether it's oil or gold or lithium or resources or geostrategic control of certain areas. War has a lot of different reasonings, none of which are justified, in my opinion. But the point here is that we've been talking about, for instance, over here, this is the, on the podcast, we're showing Saudi Arabia and, and the, the kind of waterways around all the areas, the Red Sea, Gulf of Aden, you know, and so the point is the Persian Gulf, Iran, as they've been saying for how long was that they, they need to take over Iran, right? Because they want and are desperate to control the, uh, the Strait of Hormuz, the Persian Gulf area, because should Iran shut that down, Right, which I think is probably, which ultimately I think is going to be happening, not just from Yemen side of it, but from Iran. If they keep pushing this against Iran, that dramatically hurts their shipping processes, but specifically their oil and who, whatever else intelligence or apparatus, you know, whatever else they would be doing in that regard. But and so that's why they've been trying to do that against Iran for a long time. But then all of a sudden they went after Yemen. I argue it was a combination of just control in all this area, but also because should they go to war with these countries, they know Iran will shut down this area. They've already threatened that. So if they can effectively control the Strait of the Bab al-Mandeb Strait over here between Djibouti and Yemen, well, then they could just simply reroute the other way, right? They tried with Oman. Oman didn't play ball. Yemen stood back. They tried to force in their own control. They've been fighting to put in a puppet of power. His name is Hadi. But the people pushed away from the people wanted the Ansarallah movement. He's been operating out of Riyadh for however long. They still pretend like he's the old. They they literally the the group that they pretend is the current government, as Robert writes about, are a bunch of Saudi people with no interest in Yemen at all. The Yemeni people want the Ansarallah movement, which is plainly evident, and yet they just still argue democracy means the guy they want. Shows you how it's everything they do everywhere. They don't care about anything other than their own interests. So the point. They failed to take over Yemen to this point. And I'll make a point about this in a second in regard to even Eli David trying to swing into this, acting like it just shows you how very inter, how interconnected this is with what Israel and everybody else is involved in. But then you also have, and you can see the triangle here, the Suez Canal, which, by the way, remember, Egypt was, was a regime change. As Trump, Trump was my favorite dictator, like that's the guy, Sisi was the guy they wanted. But the point is that they failed to control the actual population who is aggressively anti-Israel. And at this point now, because of what Israel's been doing in Gaza, now Egypt and Israel's standing is very different. So all of a sudden, 
You see how weak they truly are in the situation where they do not have control of pretty much any of these locations, and they're exerting that power now. Yemen is effectively shutting down the traffic that they, this UK, US, and Israel, which arguably is, you could argue, morally correct based on what's going on. You could argue that they have every legal standing, especially in their own waters, as long as they're not hurting. That's the point he makes in the article as well. They haven't killed anybody. They have taken some attacks on ships, which you could argue, and I did before with Robert, that technically that would be illegal if if you can show that they're not in any way connected to military. But I argue Israel's probably utilizing all the things they can. But then the question becomes, why would they follow the law if U.S. and Israel blatantly disregarded it every possible step? Right? right? We still have to point it out, though, if you want to be accurate. I think that this is going to explode and it's going to get worse because the U.S. government is only going to push and do what we just said they do before. They're going to just, what, are they, what other option? They have force. So they're going to act with force. But realize that Yemen is an occupied territory, just like the other ones we talk about, with Saudi Arabia occupying parts of Yemen and working with the U.S. and UAE and everybody else, which means, same point, they have the right to armed rebellion per international law. That does not change which means they don't need to be attacked to be able to fight. They're occupied. They have the right to armed rebellion against their occupier. So when the U.S. continues to bomb because they're fighting, the only one in the wrong is the U.S. government and anybody else bombing the occupied. It's important. It says reports from Yemen that Houthis plan to close all three waterways if the genocide of Palestine does not stop. And this is what their point is. David Roth Lindbergh expresses their statement here. Oh, wait, hold on. How did that happen? Hmm, that's weird. <clears throat> it says, this is Yemen's message to the EU is, you know, is reasonable and to the point. This, was on, this is from today. <clears throat> it says, instead of EU moving to add more fuel to the fire, they should move seriously to stop the crimes of genocide in Gaza. And then we will stop our military operations immediately and automatically. I mean, it's the same thing they're doing with, with the conversation of the, of the genocide. The, the Hamas, and I'll, we'll get to the end of it today, they've stated very clearly, if we have a full exchange with the ceasefire, this will end. But Israel doesn't want it to end. Well, the, the point was they'll give all of their hostages back, which is what Israel claims they're trying to accomplish. But as they've also stated, it's only about eradicating Hamas. And clearly that's the only thing, clearly to the, at the expense of the hostages that they're trying to accomplish. But the truth is about as well as fully settling in Gaza. They still they currently occupy it, which is the obvious reality. But they're saying in this case, so same thing over there, they're saying, look, if you just help us stop that genocide, we will stop what you're telling us we need to stop. No, why would especially when everyone in the world, all the international organizations they usually tell you to look at are all aware of what's going on. The only groups that seem to be stopping it are the US, Israel, Canada, would you not give into this? There's something else going on here. It's not just about being right. Clearly, there's moving factors uh, factors here from Israel's influence. I'm not sure. But it seems pretty simple, right? Until they just keep going. Now, it says, Ansarallah Political Bureau member, uh, his name is Mohammed Al-Bukhadi, my message to the European Union countries regarding their possible participation in a military mission in the Red Sea. The exceptional state of stability and security that Europe experienced after World War II is a result of the moral values that prevailed in its society at the internal level. However, this moral system began to weaken as a result of the participation 
of some European countries in the immoral wars that America fought outside its borders. We are now seeing its effects in the rise of extreme right. We are now seeing its effects in the rise of the extreme right and the war in Ukraine. So he's talking about in Ukraine, I would argue. European societies must realize that moral and human values are fixed and do not change according to the nationality and religion of a person and their treatment of them with extreme selectivity that amounts to schizophrenia will expand the scope of wars in the world, which will expand to Europe. There are genocidal crimes committed every day in Gaza, the majority of whose, whose victims are women and children, in full view of the world. And all countries must take serious action to stop them. Unfortunately, the movement of some countries with their fleets in support of the perpetrators of genocide and the silence of others is what prompted us to take unilateral military action to stop it. I mean, guys, it's pretty hard not to see how honest that is. I'm not saying that they are being honest. Who knows what their true intentions are? But if that is the case, who can deny that? And quite frankly, I do believe that's what they're doing. But it says, because we had no choice but to do so. We only target, and the only reason people would push back on acting like this is not their true intention is because you somehow have bought into the narrative that they're all a bunch of terrorist supporters of whatever else the narrative was that was spun for you from Israel to the United States, which I don't think is even remotely accurate. Now, with Hamas, there's a different story there, especially because of the funding that came from Israel and the reason they were using them, the fact that they were trying to mobilize the most extreme elements to use against the people that wouldn't go along with their narrative all over the world. But this is quite different. This is a popular movement that it, this is the same as a Hezbollah discussion. They call them terrorists because they just don't like that they're pushing back. Now, I guarantee they've done things we wouldn't agree with. I can point to 100 million things the U.S. government's done that I don't agree with. The point is, they're not what they say they are. They are a popular group supported by their own peoples that are more so an apparatus of the state than anything else like a military. But it says, unfortunately, the movement of some countries with their fleets to support this. Oh, yeah, right. This is, we only target ships linked to Israel, not with the aim of seizing them or sinking them, opposite of what you get from the other side, but with the aim of changing their course to increase the economic cost to Israel, which, by the way, has been huge since this, as a pressure card to stop its crimes in Gaza and allow the entry. So basically, I wouldn't call it nonviolent because they're using violence, but not mortally. And what does the U.S. do in response? Murders people. Indiscriminate bombing for the most part, which, which is clear. Then it goes on to say, uh, and allow the entry of food, medicine, and fuel to its besieged residents. This is a legitimate act, especially since we are in a state of war with it. If the crews of those ships had responded to the instructions of our naval forces, they would not have been detained or bombed. It says the steadfastness of the Palestinian people and the military operations of Yemen and Hezbollah against Israel were sufficient to pressure it to stop its crimes. But the American and British support for it, which reached the point of launching an aggression against Yemen, created the conditions for it to continue committing more crimes and expanded the scope of the conflict. It's really important. What they're arguing is, and they're right, if the U.S. and U.K. didn't do anything, this would have ended rapidly because they were not being able to bring in anything they needed. And the U.S., it still arguably hasn't stopped. They, they haven't got what they need yet. They're still stewing this, but the U.S. and U.K. have stepped in and opened the door to allow it to continue. They are culpable in this genocide more than any, specifically the U.S. and the U.K., which I'll get to in a second. I think I've got it coming up. Well, the, the uh, genocide, the, the, South, the ICJ, they argue they're going to bring in the U.S. and the U.K., which I argue they're going to threaten them like they have before. But it says, uh, today there is a war between Yemen 
which is struggling to stop the crimes of genocide, and America and Britain, which are fighting to support and protect the perpetrators. It is also clear that the Palestinian people are not ready to surrender, which means that the situation is heading towards escalation. Instead of European Union countries moving to add more fuel to the fire, they should move seriously to stop the crimes of genocide in Gaza. And then we will stop our military operations immediately and automatically. The Palestinian people are being subjected to great injustice at the point of being deprived of the right to live on their land by force of arms. If another human group had been subjected to the injustice that the Palestinians are being subjected to, we would have moved to help them, regardless of their religion or color. Isn't that refreshing? We are not, and you know, you could argue they're not lying about that, but I frankly don't believe it. I think that's honest. We are not advocates of war, but rather advocates of peace. And it is America and Britain that attacked us. Whether in 2015, exactly, indirectly, or today directly, and we advise the European Union countries not to participate in any aggression against Yemen. Our keenness to achieve a just and comprehensive peace that guarantees the safety and dignity of all peoples does not mean abandoning our duty to defend the oppressed, nor abandoning our right to self-defense, no matter interestingly how that's what Israel screams about, but they're not allowed in their own right, no matter the sacrifices it cost us. We are prepared to fight until the day of resurrection. Even the whole world comes together against us. And of course, what Israel's doing is, if ever, has long since been self-defense. But realize that they have been attacking them this entire time. And there it says their keenness to achieve a just and comprehensive peace that guarantees our safety and dignity of all. I mean, I think that what's interesting here, it's obvious, and... the peoples of these countries, the U.S. and the U.K., want what this what they're stating here. That's what they want. We see that across the world. It's very clear what the popular opinion is. And the governments, because of the undue influence by the Zionist entity, will not allow it. Now, here's a great clip that I just think is really puts it in perspective about how ridiculous it is. That, well, I'll just let him say it himself. What it highlights is the extreme double standards. Here we are, the Houthis have been attacking shipping lanes. Um, No deaths so far, thankfully. Um, Israel's been bombarding Gaza for the last three months. Tens of thousands of people died, children being amputated without anaesthetic, and that's fine. No sanctions on Israel, no strikes against them, no arms embargo. But I guess Houthis this is because of rebel, this is against the UK target, though, right? Is that not? It's because we don't care about international law or human rights. We have this rhetoric that we do, but we don't. This is absolute nonsense. And this whole conflict and is exposing that. We say that, you know, the Iran-backed Houthi rebels, well, they've been bombed by the US and UK-backed Saudi Arabia for the last 10 years. Um, you know, actually, the last Labour um, administration was calling for sanctions on Saudi Arabia over this for um, an arms embargo. Hillary Benz, you know, somebody who's serving under Keir Starmer, was leading this within the last shadow cabinet. So, you know, we talk about this in completely bizarre ways that t- spins it into this sort of thing of one side is bad and the other side's crimes are airwashed. I mean, we've got a case in the International Court of Justice today brought by South Africa against Israel for genocide. We're not talking about that. We're talking about some interruption to shipping lanes. I mean, it's pretty small-scale stuff when tens of thousands of people are being killed. And, you know, I don't care what adjective you call it, whether you call it a massacre, a slaughter, ethnic cleansing, genocide, it doesn't really much matter. Tens of thousands of people are being killed, and we're not talking about that. We're talking about some shipping lanes. It's, it's perverse, but, really. And the rest of the world can see it. I mean, it really is hard not to 
I mean, how can you not see that? I, you know, it's, it's just so, it, you know, sh- shipping lanes are important, obviously. But think about that and stand back and ask yourself how in the world that becomes the most important talking point. And all of the corporate media gets riled up to attack the Yemeni people while we're literally ignoring a genocide that is being called a genocide at the highest levels of power in the international. I mean, it's just so, it's just so disconcerting. And I really think people are, but at the same time, which by the way, is one of the reasons they have been acting in, in res- resistance for so long is that finally it has grabbed the attention of the world. Now here's what's really ridiculous, by the way. And this just shows you how clearly in, this is overlapped with what Israel's involved in as well as the United States, obviously. But why in the world people like like David and the rest of them would rise up and immediately, well, because clearly it's part of this agenda. He says, to all those, I stand with the Yemen, with Yemen idiots. <laughs> Just so people, he's such a gross person. He says, are you aware that the official internationally recognized government of Yemen is fighting the Houthis? <laughs> it's just so stupid. You know, it's also the internationally recognized government. Any of the groups they've ever worked with, like Saudi Saddam Hussein, or, you know, it's so re- embarrassing. Or how about Guaido? Do you still support Guaido, Eli David? Like, it's just like people see right through you, man. I mean, the point is, the internationally recognized government is Hadi living in Riyadh, backed by a bunch of Saudi princes that have nothing to do with Yemen. But that's what you, the government's recognized. So, yeah, well, let's believe it. But here's the most important part. It says, you don't stand with Yemen. You stand with a terrorist organization. Why? Because that's what they call them. Even though, and it's funny about it, with the two-party paradigm manipulation and all of it, that they removed that state. Biden removed the, who, the terror. They've never been a terrorist organization. They removed the terrorist organization label and they just randomly added back because of what's going on in the Red Sea. And the right wing side of this is the one saying that Biden tried to hide that they're terrorists. And it's just like people just need to get past the two party illusion. But he says, you stand with a terrorist organization that has murdered over 100,000 Yemeni civilians. Can you believe how dumb that is? Or so now you're literally arguing that the number of dead that is being attributed everywhere you look to the starvation campaign, to the siege, to the attack on their food, to the attack on the port, which is where 90% of what they need comes through. That's what's killing people. Everybody in the world was screaming about that other than the governments that should do something about it. And he blames that on the Houthis, on the Ansarallah movement that's been fighting for them. And here's the best part. He shows you this ridiculously wrong map that, that I can't see. Oh, I, I remember I did find it. Of course, it's on Wikipedia. It's wrong. Here's what it says. Houthi-backed rebels, Iran-backed, with, at war with the Iran-backed. It's just such stupid. They support them. You know, they're ideologically aligned. And then he says, ISIS Al-Qaeda, right here, that tiny little spot, really? Republic of Yemen, internationally recognized. And he's going, he's trying to, well, look, look at them working with the, the bad guys. Well, you want to see what the actual map is? And you know this if you watch this show, because I've been pointing this out since, what, almost 10 years. Here's the actual map as of right now. Guess what? Here, you have red is the Houthis. That's all that's over here. You got green and black. That is, this is uh, essentially the the Al-Qaeda and the Arabian Peninsula. And then you got the Islamic State. Well, where's the green? Oh, dang it. We'll take, let's, let's look. Dang it. Sorry, guys. I got my thing in the wrong spot. There we go. Well, look at that. If you remove that, dang, I'll remove that bomb so you can't see. You can see it there. I'll zoom in more. Okay, look. Sorry, guys. 
the green, which is Al-Qaeda, there we go. <laughs> Dang it. There we go. Green up here for those of the podcast, and then green down here. That's Al-Qaeda, right? And then the purple is Saudi coalition, backed by Hadi, who is the fake president. Do you see that that's not connected to the Houthis at all? Do you see that there's these two gigantic pockets of ISIS and Al-Qaeda that are that have never changed and, in fact, have gotten bigger since Saudi Arabia has taken control of these areas? Again, if you just if you zoom in right here, there this is this is there's a, a Saudi block of people and control between Al Qaeda and the Houthis. What does that show you? I should need to explain it that the people supporting the Al Qaeda elements are the U.S. factions supporting this whole thing. And here he has to come out with a fake map that lies about it to make you think that somehow that the red is the only part up there that they're not connected to this ISIS part. There, he's lying to you. Or just blindly taking Wikipedia incorrect information. This is real-time maps, and I've been showing you this since the beginning. They're working with the bad guys. That's like they armed the Azov movement, just like they armed the Hamas elements. And people like this are just as disgustingly stupid and wrong because they just toe the line for whatever the narrative is. So let's talk about Iraq and Syria. Because as, as I understand it, they bombed again today in Iraq. And they're bombing parts, well, I guess it's sort of the Kateb Hezbollah, which is, they say now, formerly part of the PMU, but it's the PMU group we're talking about, which, by the way, is part of the Iraqi military, which is armed by the weapons that the U.S. gives Iraq. It's really dumb. But here's the point. This is actually from the 15th. So this is what, you know, didn't start, but we're, earlier point. Here she goes, here's what just happened on the 15th and before. The... A revolutionary Guard in Iran launched, which their military launched several missile attacks tonight, on the 15th, on specific targets, Iraq and Syria. According to their statements, targets were one, terrorist groups responsible for the bombing of civilians in early January in Kerman, which I believe was the Soleimani ceremony, and Iran, and two, a Mossad headquarters in Iraq. The Iraqi Kurdistan, you know, which is the area they tried to carve out using the Kurds that the U.S. government's manipulating, right? Believed to be, well, actually, I take that back. I'm thinking Syria. Either way, the point is the Kurds working with Iraq or with the Western entities. And that's why I argue that they're centered there. Believed to be responsible for the assassination of key Axis figures, Mossad. So first of all, we've told you this a long time ago. In Iraq and Syria, Israel's operating freely in there, which is illegal in violation of their sovereignty of Iraq and Syria, that neither of them want that. And they're using U.S. passports to do it. We had an entire show about this. So the U.S. is completely facilitating the Israeli apparatus doing whatever it wants. But it says this is very smart for a variety of reasons. And let me show you there's more to it and who they bombed and why. But it says Iran flexed its muscle on the 15th, reminding the tractors that it was never out of the game. And this, this is the kind of restraint that you just do not see from the Western powers and, and, and tactical action. You know, what you see is Biden in the UK clumsily bombing and killing people all over a very dispoverished, uh, impoverished country because they have to make it look like they're powerful. And guess what? It still didn't stop what they were doing. But it says it did so in a way that reminds the supporters of said terrorism, the US, the UK, Israel, that the Islamic Republic will act with overwhelming force when directly challenged. 
Importantly, Iran did not enter or expand the regional war, which is what everything the U.S. and Israel are doing is striving to accomplish. It drew a deterrence line for its enemies and warned against unchecked military escalation in its neighborhood. The U.S. announced today on the 15th that it would send 1,500 more troops to both Iraq and Syria illegally without consent from either state. Right. Because they don't care about sovereignty and they're both being illegally occupied. This is the important thing to understand. And it gets even more important when we come to the point that Iraq is, again, saying we need you to leave and they don't care. But they care about their sovereignty. We've heard that before. It says Iran behaved as a sovereign state tonight, something the U.S. hates to see anywhere. It defended its territorial integrity, punished terrorism and flexed just enough muscle to warn off aggressors. Nicely played. I flatly agree. But here's where it gets interesting. This is about this the launch we're talking about of Iran strikes in Iraq after the U.S. action. It says, and, and Israeli action, and the assassination, the bombing, and everything from before that. It says, Iran said on Monday, this is before the, uh, the 15th, this was posted on the 15th, Iran said on Monday that its forces launched ballistic missile strikes on Iraq, in Iraq and Syria, that they said targeted spy headquarters and the gathering of anti-Iranian terrorist groups. Very interesting. I believe that means an overlap of Mossad intelligence and ISIS members that they're cultivating. It says Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps said the strikes in Syria targeted ISIS members who were involved in the recent bombing in Kerman. That's it killed 94 people, right? And don't forget, we just talked about this. This is I, I laughed out loud about this on January 5th. It said how I, I wrote this is the article where ISIS claimed responsibility. And the way they did so, uh, Freddie Pontone broke down in a way that pretty much reveals that it very, it's very uncharacteristic in the, with the words they used and what they said. So it might very well just be Mossad, which, by the way, it's kind of a moot point. But it says, how many times exactly do we need to see ISIS attack the enemies of Israel at the peak of hostile rhetoric before we truly understand what we're seeing? And then, of course, the video down here is uh, an old report from... Uh, uh, was it C-SPAN where they're discussing this exact point, which is a very real thing that the Israeli secret intelligence service is what they call themselves, you know, not publicly, but it's on the record that stands for ISIS. So it's maybe too clumsy and civil for some people, but it, or could just be exactly what's happening. Either way, I think it's hilarious that they jump up and they attack the enemies of Israel when, when, when in every possible way who they tend to attack doesn't even, I mean, it, anyway, the point is, Obviously, Iran has been the one fighting ISIS more than anybody. That's largely why I think that they're all aimed to get like it just shows you when the alignment of the agenda goes against them when they're all working together. It's a cohesive side. You can see it. And then they bomb these areas and they say they bombed Mossad locations and ISIS locations. Then they're, they're talking about the same thing. The international. So right there, it seems like they're openly accusing them of being ISIS or working with them. The Revolutionary Guard said the strikes in Iraq targeted quote, the espionage headquarters of Israel's Mossad in Iraq, in, in Erbil. Multiple missile strikes were reported in Ir, Erbil uh, near the U.S. consulate, but there's no indication the facility was hit. And then and the U.S. basically just denied it or said there's no impact. Now it says the strikes come about a month and a half after Israel killed a senior Revolutionary Guard official in Syria. On top of that, on March 2022, Iran launched strikes in Erbil after an Israeli attack on a drone facility in uh, Kermanshah, Iran. At the time, senior U.S. officials told the New York Times that the building Iran targeted did 
they admitted, serve as an Israeli intelligence outpost and training facility. Like, I don't, there's no reason in any sense that should make sense. And here's what they, this is the Tassim news agency, uh, uh, Tassim news agency. They pointed this out, or this is what they stated. This is from the Revolutionary Guard. They said, in response to the recent terrorist crimes of the enemies of the Islamic Iran, the spy headquarters and the gathering of anti-Iranian terrorist groups in part of the region were targeted. So that's what they're stating as well. And then, of course, on the same day, like almost like it was planned, which they said before, New Jersey National Guard prepares to deploy to Iraq and Syria. That's that's the 1,500 troops. So we're right back to sending troops. By the way, remember when I told you that we never actually left Syria? We, it's, you know, Not that we need to, me to tell you that. Uh, openly still stealing wheat, oil. But the point that, that Trump, remember that time when they told you, oh, we, we left Syria. Didn't you hear? Trump said so. It's just so embarrassing that people just blindly go along with this and we don't look back and go, oh, so I shouldn't trust him now. <laughs> no, we'll just trust the next thing he says and shout at me when I tell you he's wrong. They're still there. They never left. They're still illegally occupying both these countries because it's not about anything other than control at the expense of everything. And now we're sending more Americans from New Jersey to go continue to occupy the area. And when they get bombed by whoever's bombing in response, the point is that's the U.S. government that's responsible because they're illegally occupying these areas. You're bringing troops in and making them military targets in a place where you're in the wrong in every sense of the law. There's not even congressional approval. Realize that these this was a mission creep from the original deployment. Okay, now this is the, the report from today. This says the biggest attack on U.S. military base in years. The U.S. military base of Al Ain al-Assad in Iraq was hit by 17 rockets and smoke is coming out of the base. Thank you to We Are Hearts. She's been sharing a lot of good stuff with me. Now, the point is, guys, this is going to continue. And every time they act with military action, which, by the way, is legally an act of armed rebellion under the international law for the Fourth Geneva Convention, because they're an occupied territory. So you're going to continue to see these attacks. You're going to continue to see them acting in response or acting in general. And every time the U.S. government is going to say that it is a crime, they're going to say, give me one second. Apologize. They're going to say that this is against the law. They're going to say that it's act of terrorism, despite the fact that it is not, and it's even legally protected under international law. The same thing about Hamas. Now, that doesn't mean that people that commit crimes in that regard wouldn't still be crimes, right? Like, so when Hamas, it under with legally invade, uh, you know, acted with armed rebellion against Israel, which is. It, doesn't matter what you think about them. It is protected under international law as an occupied territory, which is one of the main reasons they push so hard against deceiving you that it's an occupied territory. It still is. The point is that that's protected. But then when, when they very much did commit crimes, those are still crimes. It doesn't invalidate the original act, which was protected under international law. So all of these groups are doing the same. And the only one in the wrong here is the U.S. government and Israel and anybody else supporting these illegal actions. Now, the point here, this is from yesterday. Iraq's leader want U.S. troops out, but there's no timeline in place. You know, there's not, it's not just no timeline. 
They don't care. I mean, look, I'll just go show you this first. We we remember we just talked about this. This was in 2020. Iraqi parliament votes to expel U.S. troops. Trump set threatened sanctions. It's just like just that's the one thing I loved about Trump. He just was right on the surface. We're taking the oil. Oh yeah, you want us out? We're gonna threaten you. <laughs> it's like at the very least he took the mask off. You can see what they really are, which is probably one of the reasons they hate him so much. But nonetheless, he still achieved their agendas. The point is, they voted for them to leave. They didn't care. They just said, well, we're going we're gonna to stay, but we respect your sovereignty. You can't pretend you respect their sovereignty when you literally ignore the fact that they don't want you there anymore and you're there illegally in the first place. So now, back to today, or yesterday rather, but in the same current sense, they're now speaking up again. We want you to leave. You shouldn't need to validate it again, seeing as how you already voted to have them leave and they denied it. But the point is, Iraq's prime minister has given multiple interviews in recent days, declaring his country is no longer, and I believe this is a person that they pretty much put in power, declaring that his country is no longer interested in hosting 2,500 troops, way more than that, deployed there in support of the mission to defeat ISIS. Do we really pretend that's what they're doing as they fight the groups that are fighting ISIS? <laughs> it's pathetic. Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani uh, uh, described the U.S.'s presence as destabilizing in an interview with Reuters. And that's the truth. What th They're the reason all this is happening in this country. Not because of other terrorist acts that would happen without them being there. Their presence is the fact of why. And it's not because they're fighting, you know, they hate their freedom. It's because they're illegally present. It's because this represents everything that has caused all of... They are the bad guy in this situation. And that's an easy thing to state. It doesn't mean that it inherently means that U.S. bad or anything else. You could discuss that. The point is that what they're doing in this sense makes them the one in the wrong. That's the best way to put it. Get away from the childish good guy, bad guy sentiment. Now it says, quote, we've, and this is what they said in response. Get ready to laugh. We value Iraq as a partner. We'll continue to consult closely with them. At this time, I'm not aware of any official request by the government to, for, of Iraq for DOD forces to depart. I'll just leave it at that. It already happened. And are we going to pretend that if they sh should the, the parliament vote again, that you're going to leave? Hardly. You already made it clear. So all this is that he's walking around going, we want them to leave. You already voted to, for them to leave four years ago. The point is, we like them and we'll consult with them. Is that it? Oh, so you don't care. Got it. You respect their sovereignty, though. So now the U.S. strikes again. U.S. forces strike the what the Qatab Hezbollah, which was part of the PMU or formerly, after these attacks. Now explain this for me. This is what's so crazy, and this is what seems to. Because the point is, it's really about demonstrating, you know, making a statement, whether or not it achieves anything. The PMU or Qatab Hezbollah is not Iran. Quite frankly, they're not even, I would argue, controlled by Iran. These, this is, this would be like the U.S. This would be like the U.S. government attacking. Let's just use this, just use this example. Let's say the U.S. government attacks Iraq, right? And then the PMU bombs the U.K. Does that make sense? Well, they say, well, that's the that's the U.S. backed U.K. Would that make sense to anybody? You could, you could literally make an argument that the U.K. is backed by the United States, but the point is that you can't just pretend that it is the same thing and then bomb these locations. In this sense, the PMU, I argue, isn't Iran. They're just associated. Same thing you could argue for the UK. They just would bomb the foreign country that they're working with, or Germany, or any other country. And they go, well, they're the same thing. 
Well, from a legal perspective, that's absurd. Even if they were connected, it would still not be, you know, you get the point. So here they're bombing and they're telling you they're bombing the PMU or Kateb Hezbollah, which is a group that is part of the Iraqi military of the location they currently control. So in the same sense that Israel's bombing the Palestinians and that violates their occupation or the, you know, they, that's their, they have an obligation to protect the civilians. They're doing the same thing here because they are killing civilians when these happen in most cases. So in any case, they bombed a part of the Iraqi military because Iran bombed the, the locations that they're near, which were actually illegal locations that are controlled by Israel. That's how backward and ridiculous this is. Now, I will follow up on this. I guarantee it's only going to get more ridiculous unless they acknowledge what they're doing is wrong, which I find hard to believe. So it's going to come down to the other actions, like the group, the entities in Europe, other groups that are usually on their side to just finally recognize politically this is a disaster and stop them however they can. But on top of that, Israel's desperate to swing this into just about any, you know, they, they're trying to draw in the U.S. even more. They're trying to make this a multi-front war so everybody forgets about what they just did and are continuing to do. That's what I argue, my opinion. But this is, this is the uh, sprinter shared this, the IDF chief of staff telling his soldiers in the north to prepare for war with Lebanon. And why is Lebanon actively trying to achieve? Well, first of all, they're occupying parts of Lebanon. So quite frankly, again, they have a legal right to fight for those things, whether or not they're attacked. But the point is, this all started after they were committing genocide in Gaza. And so what they're saying is because they're actively fighting. And by the way, they've already bombed in Lebanon. They've been attacking them. Israeli bombs have hit in Lebanon and even killed a Reuters journalist. But they're saying we're going to go to war with Lebanon, <laughs> which, by the way, Israel by itself will be destroyed in this, obviously. So they're desperate to make this something bigger. The goal is to return 230,000 settlers who fled Hezbollah attacks. Right? They want these settlers who are in illegally occupied territory to be able to go back to their illegally occupied territory. Anyway, Lebanon, Iraq, Syria, Iran, Yemen. I mean, it's like they're, they're desperately seemingly trying to make this happen. And here's Syria. This is from today. Iran's news agency, a news agency reports that two senior advisors in the, in the revolutionary guards have been killed as an Israeli strike on Al-Mazaya neighborhood in the Syrian capital, Damascus, in the civilian populated capital of Damascus. And, and apparently they killed parts of their military. Now, why is that a legal strike? Like th this would be, again, trying to make an analogy about this. So if you're arguing you're at war with Iran, which by the way, you have never declared that. There, now, there is a legal process to this. But you're saying, oh, well, this is part of their military, right? We're going to bomb a civilian location. Well, by that logic, if there is Israeli Mossad or just like Israeli government connected entities or even just IDF members, which we know overlaps, there's a member of Congress in the US that's an IDF member. Remember, he showed up in his uniform. So by that logic, Iran could bomb wherever he is, anywhere in the United States and claim, oh, bad guy. It's his fault. Human shields. Do you see how rapidly their narrative is disintegrating, even to people that are following it? They can't get away with stuff like this, and they have been for a really long time. You can't just scream Iran bad guy. Iran's allowed to be in Syria. You're bombing civilian locations, just like in, when they bombed Soleimani, Trump, and Israel in an airport under a guise of, of diplomacy. Now, 
let's see what we'll get into. We're at uh, two hours. We're looking pretty good to finish with the mostly focused on Israel. Now, this is actually pretty crazy to me talking about the free speech platform, right? Uh, uh, this uh, here's his, his uh, account right here. Solomon Ahmad, Ahmad who, whose account is still present, but apparently he's locked out. Is gotten huge. 356,000 followers. Khaleesi points out Twitter has suspended him. Here's the actual email they sent him. He's kicked out of his, locked out of his account. Gee, I wonder why. I think I know why. I'll show you next. But he's been locked out. No reason. Just totally unacceptable. I agree. He's one of the biggest pro-Palestinian accounts on Twitter. Which, by the way, you can see all these pro-Israel accounts that have exploded like multi-million followers. Now has no access to his account. And she goes, please look into it. You know, they always try to petition the censor. You know, I don't get it. Just call them out. In any case, he's locked out. And here's, let me show you why I think this is. Other than the obvious, to stop people that are showing you genocide that's taking place. Oh, someone online, uh, Orwell's saying he, now he's back maybe. But in any case, it's the fact that it even happened. Let me show you what I think. So here he shares this. Israeli professor threatened to eliminate South African legal team. Showing you the kind of mindset we're dealing with here. He wrote, I expect traffic accidents to occur in The Hague. This is normal. An act of God. Think about how crazy that is. That is, an, that is a, a threat. That's not even a very, that's not even veiled. It's obvious what you're saying. That you, that you might kill them in their own, tra- and it'll be a traffic accident. Who would know, right? Sometimes submarines don't come back up. How do we know why? <laughs> Remember that clip? It's the kind of, that's the way they think, right? And they, he just goes, well, what is this? Now, this is after this. This He got locked out after this happened. I don't know if it's why. Let me show. First of all, I had this up. I found it. Took me forever. And then it, then he deleted it. Now, you can see it says down here. Oh, I did the wrong one right here. Been deleted, right? So that means the, he, the owner of this account chose to remove it, which tells you, I think they know we're paying attention. Here's what it says. Here's the actual Wayback Machine that I was able to save. I expect traffic accidents to happen in The Hague. Normal. Fate. So, you know, variation on the translation. That's what he wrote in Arabic, mind you, which is interesting. Very, very telling. And here's an image in case I lost it. Here is his account. Here's what his account says, so you know who he is. Lecturer in political science at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and delegate, that's the important part, to the Labor Party Conference Professor in Political Science at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem and a member of the Central Committee of the Labor Party. So he's, he's government connected. He's not just a person at a, at a college, university. He is tangential to the government, if not part of it, part of the Labor Party. I think that's important. Right? So understand that he openly threatened the lives of people in The Hague for investigating their genocide. That, that is sociopathic. And just one other thing he pointed out, by the way. He said the demilitarized Gaza Strip is permissible for them. Demilitarized, meaning both combination of getting whatever military, you know, control over Hamas, they, whatever they claim that goal is, but also, as they very plainly stated, the, uh, what's the term they used? They need to de-radicalize them. Right. So like this, like exactly what you're seeing with China and the Uyghurs, but they don't care if it happens to Palestinians. Right. Who cares over here? That's what he's saying. So demilitarized, that whole process is permissible for them. And the West Bank is for us. So now suddenly the West Bank is just now going to be part of Israel proper. One step at a time, right? All at the same time, quite frankly. But this is just his opinion. But that's internationally illegal from every single standpoint. 
Nobody is okay with that. And Jordan has said that would be an act of war on top of many acts of war. I just want to show you the mindset of these people. And if we point out they're going to do that, you get called an anti you know, racist, a bigot, an anti-Semite. Even though it's plainly stated. Now, let's finish with some important stuff about what's going on here. Daniel Modas from, this was from today. Satellite, I just find this to be shocking. Satellite images of Rafah revealed the displacement of over a million Palestinians into camps due to the ongoing war. Look at this image, guys. So here's what it was before. That's the Rafah crossing, the Rafah area, Rafah area in general. Here's what it looks like now. Holy God, look at that. Just jammed in there. Think about that. Think about the, in the town you live in and every single person in that town being forced at gunpoint to rush away, leaving all their belongings within a dirt area here in the middle of, you know, whatever, Texas, Utah, being jammed into an area where you don't have food, no water, you're being bombed as you're there. And somehow this is acceptable because, you know, there's bad guys around. I mean, it's just so incredible that they've even gotten away with this narrative. That's what's currently happening. James uh, Z. Zogby points out, this is page one of New York Times showing sites where Israel dropped 2,000-pound bombs, you already know this story, in Gaza's densely populated south. The south, where they were told to flee. Yep. Each one leaves a crater the size of a football field and causes damage 3,000. I think that's, uh, is that feet or miles? I think miles, it's got to be feet. Yeah, it's got to be. But what's going to be know in the chat what that would stand for? So the point is very far away. And Israel is murdering innocents. It says, and when Israel says they're taking precautions to protect civilians, it's a bold-faced lie. We, we know that. Their own AI program has made that clear. Their own IDF members have made that clear. The, the killing of their own hostages has made that clear. It says it's bound and intended to kill everyone within its wide reach. And by the way, we've given them these bombs. That's the important part. The U.S. government is the one that gave them these. And this is the New York Times investigation being cited by Haaretz. Israel used the most destructive bombs in areas designated as safe. That's U.S. government-provided munitions. They're called dumb bombs. As they say, they're pinpoint targeting areas. I mean, it's just all so blatantly, transparently dishonest, lies, manipulative. So what, what they're showing you in this image is just where they're bombing. And these are areas where they told them to go. And these are 2,000-pound bombs that have a huge, yeah, feet. 3,000 feet. So the point is you can bomb a location, but you're bombing in the areas at the very least adjacent to the areas where people are told to go. So 3,000 feet away, you're going to kill some innocent people. They know this. It's just so dis just upsetting. And on top of that, as The Intercept writes on the 11th, Biden admin deployed Air Force teams to Israel to assist them with targets. So not only are they giving them these huge bombs, they're literally helping them kill civilians. And here, one of these, this is again, the, weirdly enough, the government spokesperson for that one day, I guess forever, that's really trying to cement that as what they want you to think it is. And, you know, damn well would have been had they not completely shifted to genocide which eclipsed everything they ever could have talked about. He says, well, first of all, Amnesty International puts this out. There's no mention of anybody. It just says, civilians must be protected. Always. Right? Nowhere in there does that say 
only Israel or anybody in particular. And the fact that he had to respond to this, it says everything. It means he believes, which is what a guilty mind would do, that they're aiming this at them. But it's clearly about everybody. He simply says, from Hamas. Are you kidding me? Like, you guys are so bad at this. I can't even believe you guys haven't been exposed before this. And I said, from everyone who might hurt them, which, by the way, includes Hamas, but most obviously includes the Israeli government, since you've been deliberately killing your own hostages from day one. And it is self-evident that you have been out to destroy Palestinian society. You are a transparent villain from Hamas. I mean, my God, it's just so clear. And here's what somebody else pointed out. But in the same response from Hamas, he goes, don't, don't look like a Hamas to me, mate. This is one, just another supporter who writes publicly, flatten everything, spare no school, no children's hospital, no old age home, delete their entire gene pool off the face of the earth. But yeah, but only Hamas though, right? Mohammed Safa shares something horrifying that kind of overlaps again with the kind of bombs they're using. Which is, he said, if you're wondering why some of the dead children in Gaza have no visible injuries or covered in blood, who look like they're sleeping, it's because Israel killed them with thermobaric bombs. We've talked about this. These bombs suck oxygen out of, from the air to trigger high temperature explosions. The explosive pressure is so strong that it quite literally sucks the air out of the children's lungs and causes them to internally explode. Now, this is on the peripheral of the explosion. Terrifying. How in the world can you expect that to be used in a densely, the most civilian, densely civilian populated area on the planet and not, I mean, it's designed to hurt, guys. Same with their butterfly bullets and everything else they use that is designed to cause punishment. Like this. Video shows aftermath of a summary execution of 15 men in a Gaza apartment. They, they are just openly assassinating people at this point. Yunus Terwai points out Gaza Israeli soldiers on TikTok published documentation showing them bombing unarmed civilians walking in the middle of the street. Credit Israeli soldier on TikTok. These, it's everywhere. They're proudly showing them destroying buildings while they're eating popsicles. Like it's just so blatant and evident. How, and, or we just talked about this how Israel killed Palestinians waiting for food trucks in northern Gaza. Literally, they, when the, when the very few amount of the, the, basically, these people are starving to death. Not even basically, it's real. Every international, Amnesty, Human Rights Watch, they're screaming about it. They put it, one of the trucks comes through, and these people, which you might expect, are desperate. So they rush and try to take what they can. And so they argue that they're trying to steal. It's just, it, or, or whatever their argument was, they shot the innocent people trying to eat and get fed while they're starving because of what they're doing. It just pains me. And on top of that, there was another part here. Hold on. It was, uh, I figured I, this goes better right here. Right here. Next one. So this is important, right? So we know that they're doing this, but they've lied about it. Egypt has called them out repeatedly for their blo blocking aid and they blame it on Hamas. It's hilarious and it's insulting. But Mohammed Shihada points out something important. Senior Hamas figure, Qatar sending medicine to Gaza. Some will go to the hostages, right? It says Qatar, now whether they allow this to happen is a different question. This is the 13th. Qatar just brokered a deal, which by the way, again, they're literally housing in offices, the leadership of Hamas that Israel said they're going to give a pass to, at least right now, and are allowing them to mediate. I just don't know how that doesn't show you that they're desperately trying to maintain that ent controlled entity. 
probably not the body, right? The Hamas entity is now fighting for Palestinian resistance, but these are the ones they've been funding. That's why they're so rich. They, tr- they love to make it out to be aid coming through. But no, these people are millionaires and billionaires. They're getting money from the Israeli. They, they, basically, it's Israel funneling a lot of that and whatever else into their arms. Anyway, the point is, Qatar brokered a deal where Israel would allow more medicine than the sliver they're giving to go into Gaza in return for giving some of it to the Israeli captives. The ones they're trying to kill, it seems. But it says, this is so important to think about which is the clearest admission that Israel has obviously been obstructing the flow of medicine for a hundred days while children and amputations without anesthesia. If you can suddenly agree to the deal and allow more to come in, then you've obviously been suppressing it. I mean, it's just so, again, it's so self-evident. Now talking about the civilians, right? And what they're clearly doing to civilians and the idea that he's saying civilians must be protected from Hamas. Well, no. Well, I mean, yes, but from everybody who might want to hurt them. But let's talk about some of those civilians. How about a civilian in Israel? An Israeli history teacher who has been held in solitary confinement and has lost his job. Why? For posting concerns for civilian deaths in Gaza. Not Hamas, not resistance, the civilians that they also claim they're fighting for, right? Israel calls itself a democracy and the only democracy in the Middle East. This guy's a teacher who's lost his job and has been held in prison because he says he cares about civilians in Gaza. Doesn't that show you what their intentions are? I think more than enough today. Now, this is an important part of this. Dan Cohen shared this. No U.S. media outlets are reporting this massive scandal that Israel killed a captive soldier, yet another one, other, you know, the three point blank shot, one 15 minutes after the other two. That's obvious. But ever, and there's Israeli hostages coming home that say they watched bombs that Israel fired, kill their own people. I mean, it's so obvious. That's not even to get into the Hannibal Directive. It's been admitted to by three different people in their government and the people on the ground who admitted shooting with the helicopters to kill people or shooting the tanks to the, that killed their own people. Or Yasmin Port, I believe, who came out and said she watched them kill people. Or the head of the, the Kibbutz Be'ere, who said they watched them kill civilians. Every one of these are on the record. The point is, here's another one. This is even more crazy, though. No U.S. outlets reporting it. Israel killed a captive soldier with poison gas, which shows you they're using poison gas in civilian areas, and then lied to his family about it to blame Hamas. Only Israeli media is covering it. Here's the, start, here's the article itself. IDF fails to confirm Gaza's hostage's cause of death. Mother claims poisoning. The mother of the slain hostage, who is an IDF member, accused the IDF of poisoning her son to death inside of a tunnel. Which is exactly what we're talking about. They're bombing and they're doing all this stuff after the guy going after Hamas when they know these people are being held in these areas. At the very least, you have to argue they do not care about them. At worst, you have to think they're trying to kill them. But only Israeli media. Isn't that interesting? New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, every one of them. The rest of them are covering it up so they don't embarrass the Israeli government. Those are the same outlets that promote, they promoted the beheaded babies, mass rape lies. The media is part of the Zionist death cult, he says. Now here he posts this. Here's what it says. Israeli military killed captive soldier Ron Sherman with poison gas, according to his mother. A captive Israeli soldier whose body was recovered from a tunnel in Jablir refugee camp. Like, think about that when they bombed that first one, right? I mean, he could have just easily been killed then by Israeli forces in December. Writes on Facebook that her son was killed by Israeli military poison gas, not by Hamas. 
The results of the investigation. Ron was indeed murdered, not by Hamas, she writes. Think more in the direction of Auschwitz and the showers, but without Nazis and without Hamas as the cause. Not an accidental shooting, not friendly fire, premeditated murder. That's his mother saying this. An Israeli Jew in Israel. You get the point, guys. You can read what she wrote. It's just so disgusting that this is so obvious. And he writes down here, Israel's applying the Hannibal Directive to the entire Gaza Strip. And there's a, there's a good three-minute video just showing you. It's very obvious. And then, I want to grab this real quick. I, I want to just go over that later. Good one to play. Trying to keep this at a certain time. So, here is to the U.S. side. Another great work, more great work by Decensored News. Catching Matt Matt Miller looking like a fool, which is pretty much what he does every day now. When he, when he, his, his arguments, he, he's even getting more clumsy in the way he speaks because I think you just know that you're being caught. But this is a great clip, four minutes. This is Saeed asking him specifically about the infrastructure, which we'll show you next, which is obvious. The way he responds is painful. Yesterday, the Israeli military occupied and destroyed the Israel University in Gaza. I mean, this is probably number 10 of all 10 universities that they have destroyed. And is it the assessment of this department or this government that this was a legitimate target? So I can't speak to this uh, individual action. I don't have in independent information to verify that, but I can Coward. say that we continue to urge Israel uh, to avoid damage to critical infrastructure. Um, mm -hmm. That would, of course, include universities and to ensure the protection of humanitarian and medical sites. That has been something we have urged from the outset of this conflict. It is very difficult. And again, I'm, I'm not talking about this particular site because I don't have information about this mm -hmm. particular site, but it is always difficult when you see Hamas yeah. use those civilian inf yeah. uh, uh, right. sites to to uh, hide its fighters, to launch attacks on Israel. But you know. I mean, he's about to say it right now, but my God, I mean, th think about the shamelessness of just every single time just asserting something. Like, think about the claim that he goes, we can't, we don't know, we haven't investigated, we can't, we don't know, we have to look at every bombing, and then reflexively stating that Hamas uses them as human shields in that location without any evidence or even investigation to prove that. I mean, not even Israel stated that. They just did this. No one's even paying attention right now. Not to the, they're bombing hospitals and things all over the place now. And no one's even questioning it because the floated narrative is, well, Hamas was there. They don't even need to say it anymore because Matt Miller says it for them. But think about the absurdity of claiming you can't claim, you can't speak on this bombing because, well, we didn't investigate the explicit bombing itself, but then somehow knowing that it was done because Hamas was there. I mean, this, th this is why. He probably is so uncomfortable, assuming he even cares, which maybe he doesn't, because, you know, I mean, I think even a sociopath is uncomfortable with the fact that we can see right through him. Everybody sitting there is like, come on, dude, you're so ridiculous. We know what you're doing. We know it's obvious. We know you know, too, but we'll go through this little song and dance, this dog and pony show. It's just so effing frustrating. Use those civilian inf uh, uh, sites to uh, hide its fighters, to launch attacks on Israel. But there, you know, there seems to be no evidence that there were any fighters, in fact, you know, any presence of a, any kind of military presence in the university itself. I mean, you keep saying that you want Israel not to destroy the infrastructure. Yet we have seen almost the total destruction of all infrastructure, including schools, hospitals, roads, you know, cemeteries. You know, they just, you know, they, they excavated a cemetery, for instance, and took bodies. I mean, this is not exactly uh, tell us in any way that the government of Israel is really 
paying heed to what you tell them, you know, in, in any way, by any measure. They're not listening to you. So we have seen them take some steps uh, to, avo- uh, to add civilian infrastructure to deconfliction sites. Um, I just think about the response. And yet they continue to, I mean, I guess I'm jumping Saeed's point anyway. It's just like, I just have, I mean, does anybody actually buy these people? Like literally anybody. Like I know people will go along with it because their narrative suggests, like Eli David will agree with whatever he says, because obviously he's, that's what he's going to do. But I just don't, how can you, how can any logical person watch this and see what they're doing and look at them, state what they're doing, look at them covering, look laughing about it and individual statements complain. I mean, all of it. And then take this at face value. I mean, we are in clown world like I've never seen before today. There are other things that we have urged them to do that we want them to do better on. Uh, it is an ongoing conversation between our two governments uh, and something that the secretary spoke directly with the leadership of Israel in his trip last week. But again, there is also this problem that uh, Hamas does continue to hide in and under civilian infrastructure. So when you see uh, a strike against any one civilian piece of civilian infrastructure to assess the validity of that strike, you have to know what it is that was there. And we don't always know that. Yeah. Uh, OK, so his point is that it might be they might be there. We don't know. So we're OK, assuming that they might have been there and ignoring all of the fallout and side effects and killings. Because that's your side, obviously, but we will not condemn anything because we think about how transparent that is and good. And um, Kale in the chat points out to deconflicted zones. Well, you know what those deconflicted zones look like? They look like this. Oh, the spots they're bombing with dumb two, three thousand pound bombs. Those are the zones that where they're supposed to be safe. So who cares if you add it to a deconfliction zone? They're bombing all of those anyway. It's see my, the cycle of information. You can't hide from this. They've admitted everything. So as Matt, the, the, the Matt's of the world and the Biden's of the world, they are just digging their own graves with all of this information because it's so readily apparent, but they don't care. And I think they're so desperately aligned with this that it's going to get worse before it gets better unless somebody else steps in. And I don't even know what that means. I just mean that like it's very clear that they're going to keep tripling, doubling down, quadrupling down. At least I don't know that when I'm speaking from here. In and under civilian infrastructure. So when you see uh, a strike against any one civilian piece of civilian infrastructure to assess the validity of that strike, you have to know what it is that was there. And we don't always know that yeah. uh, when I'm at least I don't know that when I'm speaking from here. Based on uh, Saeed's question about the, the uh, demolition of the, the university, I don't know if you've seen the video. It's pretty widely available. I've seen but the video. it certainly looks I mean, it looks like a controlled demolition. It looks like what we do here in this country when we're taking... Because that's what it was. 100%. ...taking down an old hotel or a stadium, and you have nothing to say? You have nothing to say about this? I I mean, to do that kind of an explosion, you need to be in there. You have to put the explosives down, and it takes a lot of planning and preparation to do. And if there was a threat from this particular facility they wouldn't have been able to do it so i have seen the video uh i can tell you that it is something we uh are raising with the governor of israel as we do often do when we see to to ask questions and 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 find out what the underlying situation is as we often do when we see reports of this nature um right and israel says hamas was there and they go okay thanks that's it like it's just so pathetic i, I mean I'm surprised nobody else. I mean, we see Matt Lee and the ones that usually speak up. 
But it's it, it, it again, I don't need to keep making the same point. It's just it's almost just so shocking to me that I have to stop and point it out how mindlessly obvious this all is. But I'm not able to characterize the actual facts on the ground before hearing that that response. Yeah, but you saw the video. I did see the video. I don't. I don't I mean, know. I don't like know. I don't know what was. It, it, it looks I don't like, know, you know what was under that building. I don't know what was under that building. I don't know what was uh, inside. Well, yeah, but, inside. But it doesn't that matter what was under the building because they obviously got in there to put the explosives down to, 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 <laughs> so, to do it in like, the way that they did. Uh, again, I'm. I, I'm glad you have factual certainty about it. I just, I just don't. I don't. All I, I have just don't. is what I, I saw in the video. I, I just right? don't. And I think you guys but saw I can it too. Say, we did see it, and I can say that we have raised it with and the government of Israel. And it's not troubling to you? Uh, we are always troubled by the by um, uh, any degradation of civilian infrastructure in Gaza, but without knowing the actual underlying circumstances, I'm a little hesitant, I think for reasons that should be understandable, to pass definitive judgment on it from this podium. God, what a coward. I mean, it's his job, right? But as Saeed points out, well, okay, so you're always worried about the infrastructure, but they're literally destroying every single piece of infrastructure. So it just it's just such a cycle of nonsense. They're completely and unequivocally complicit in genocide. They've owned that by now. They know it. They've committed to it. So here's the, the CUDS network showing you, or rather relaying to you, one of these surgeons. Right. This is not an, he's not a Palestinian. He's not a member of Hamas. He supports it. Obviously, the Palestinian plight. He was at the Al-Aqsa hospital. He's testifying publicly right here in this video that he was there when Israel fired a missile at the intensive care unit. It's so transparent. Hello. Who are you? Why are you here? Uh, Nick Maynard. I'm a surgeon in Oxford and I've been going to Gaza for nearly 15 years and I've just come out to Gaza. Um, the ICJ on Friday, the Israeli defense legal team, said they're doing everything they can to safeguard hospitals in Gaza. Uh, is that your experience? Uh, not at all. I saw the Israeli Defence Force destroy a hospital in 2014, the Al Wafa Hospital. I visited just after that, having visited it before, and it was destroyed and, and reduced to rubble. On this occasion, in Al Aqsa Hospital, a week ago, I was in the hospital when an Israeli missile hit the intensive care unit. So I have seen incontrovertible evidence that they attack hospitals. And some people say, well, that's because they've got some Hamas inside the hospital firing missiles. Was that the case when the no, missile it was hit? No, it was a single shot, a single missile that hit the hospital. There was no gunfire going on. I was in the hospital. There was no Hamas uh, militants at all. Doesn't that matter? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's the kind of, like, isn't that the kind of evidence that Matt, Matt Miller is pretending doesn't exist? They don't care. Well, just to show you, I mean, you've seen many of these. It's just one, any one of these videos will never truly encapsulate how much destruction you've seen. But my God, I mean, look at the video. That level of destruction of infrastructure is unparalleled. I've never seen, like, even in like places like Raqqa, it was horrible. This is just, clearly, it's what they are telling you, which we'll get to next that they want to resettle the area. But thank God, there are people pushing back. Sarah Abdallah points out that South Africa's lawyers will now are claiming at the very least that they're, they will bring the U.S. or the U.K. before the International Court of Justice for their complicity in Israel's genocide in Gaza. I'm willing to bet you they don't even show up. That, they will exist, and that's because they know how obvious this is. So this is what they said. We intend to bring legal proceedings against the U.S. government based on overwhelming evidence that the U.S. government has and is 
aiding, abetting, and supporting, encouraging, or providing material assistance. We've proven all of those just in this show, by the way. And means to Israel and the Israeli Defense Forces. This conduct by the U.S. government has enabled and continues to enable Israel to engage in international crimes against Palestinian people. I mean, it, that's, it's very, very on, on the surface. The point is that they're going to bring both of these countries, the governments, in front of the International Court of Justice. Again, I argue they won't care. Now, remember the point I showed you about the mass displacement in Rafah. I want starting on that point and showing you what they're doing, driving everybody that way, just like the leaked plan showed you to push them into the Sinai Desert was one of the clear planned options. Whether it happens, we don't know. But the whole point was they're making it very clear now, even though I've been trying to tell you people, plenty of people. We pl my point is plenty of us have been trying to tell anybody that would listen that they have never, ever wanted a Palestinian state. We made that point about the, uh, the tweet in there somewhere about Haaretz. His whole point was the only way we can stop the state like that is to fund Hamas. That's while they're publicly pretending they want that. So to be clear, they funded the group that they're calling terrorists in order to stop the legal action they pretend they're fighting for, blaming on Hamas and the Palestinians. That's, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy right there. The point is, Kudznez News Network, this is Israel's culture and sports minister, part of the government. Quote, we will never allow the establishment of Palestinian state. Now, of course, today they make it only about October 7th, but they've been saying this. If you listen to them speak to Israeli media and their own people, as far back as you want to look, they do not ever want this. It's not just because of October 7th. It's ne They've always been trying to stop this, including funding the very group that then invaded Israel to stop that. Whether that was by design or not, you guys can decide for yourselves, but clearly you have to hear, consider that. But they're now in the stage of pushing people into wherever to achieve this goal. He said, the news points out, Netanyahu says he has told U.S. that he opposes Palestinian state in any post-war scenario. So again, not even about October, even far, for, far forward as you want to look. It's done. But the point again is it was never there. They will never, ever going to allow it. They're just now utilizing this to pretend that now we won't, now forever we won't. It's their fault. No, you never have. Dave DeCamp puts this out saying the same thing, said he will told the U.S. that they will never, ever be a Palestinian state. Now, here he is stating this. You can listen for yourself. Hamas responded to this. The war criminal Netanyahu statement that the Zionist entity will tighten its grip on the entire region. Oh, to make it more clear, he says here, and you can listen for yourself. And this, I think, is hilariously important as Elon Musk himself was censoring people for saying this in regard to Palestine. And I told you, I showed you on the Likud party's own statement, charter statement. Here he is now publicly stating it. And what do you know? Not being censored on Twitter. He says in the future, the state of Israel has no control, has to control the entire area from the river to the sea. Well, is that not an accurate? What are you going to do with Palestine? Well, it has to be disappeared. So there you go. That is there. If the same argument applies that by Palestinians saying from the river to the sea means the Whatever the way they, Israel can't exist. Well, it's the same point in reverse, isn't it? Not when it's a double standard and a one-sided concept. But he's publicly telling you this. There's not a question right now, but you'll talk about it in certain Twitter circles and they'll call you a conspiracy theorist. Here is, um, I forgot it. Let me get his exact. Minister of National Security, chairman of the Atma, uh, I don't know how that, I forget what that is. The point is, this is um, Ben Gabir. 
one of the most extremist entities of the religious Zionism party. This guy's a maniac. Here's what he stated today. I do deny a Palestinian state. Always. Thank you for making my point. They just don't care. Now, another example of that that shows you not only that they're doing this in every possible way, but that they're doing so in a very terroristic type way. The kind, the exact way that they've utilized the ISIS entities, the way they've armed the Azov movement, the way that they've created the very thing, or even bombing Jews in Iraq to drive them to create the state of Israel. The reality of Zionism. Deep, uh, Deep Barat points out, armed clashes between Egyptian and Israeli forces at the Israeli-Egypt border. This was on the 15th. Interesting. Now, they, they chalked this up to drug smuggling. But he says a group of 20 to 30 armed Egyptian men were able to cross the border and engage in crossfire with Israeli border guards. Seems very strange, doesn't it? It's funny how they seemingly can't do anything because Hamas stops everything and then these people just waltz across and get in a firefight with Israeli soldiers. He says the fire did ultimately injure several Israeli soldiers. Very strange, isn't it? I don't buy any of this. Egypt so far has stayed neutral as an intermediary between the Palestinians and Israel. Says, however, the Israelis attempted to control I think it's the Philadelphia corridor and the Egyptians could change their stance. So here's where this gets really interesting. So that this is just the story, right? Well, before this, well, this was the story about that. You can read more on basically Israel, Israeli minister rules out a ceasefire, which of course Gaza faces starvation, but clashes on the border. But before that, here's what was being stated. This is December 31st. Israel seeks full control of Gaza, Egypt border. Well, just understand what that means is about taking control of the Egypt side of the border. Why anybody would allow that, but all of this is about trying to push them into this area. If you control that side, well, you can drive them right into Egypt, couldn't you? Here's another, here's Times of Israel. Israel said to Egypt uh, to tell Egypt a plan to take control of the border. And this is the, yeah, the Philadelphia route. Now, just before that, there was all these weird assertions that there was going to be like a false flag or an attack. Something was going to happen in the Philadelphia route. And then what do you know? Something happens. I, 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 can't, I can't prove that this is anything other than it looks like. But my gut tells me, just because, and because people were telling you this was about to happen, that this is some kind of an orchestrated event in order to justify them needing security control over the area because of this lack of control. Is that really what happened? I don't know. But I'll tell you. It seems a little bit hard to believe. And all this is going to do is lead to more control, which will drive them through the area, which will achieve their ultimate, you know, the next step. And if you if you wonder why any of this is being allowed, why all of the media seems to not care about any of this stuff, how they're hiding all this information, right? Or the fact that they won't admit to you that they'll never allow a Palestinian state. Well, look no further than to realize that pretty much every single politician in our country is funded to the teeth by just a multitude, largely APAC and groups like that, but just pro-Israel PACs to U.S. senators. And this goes from, this is from 1990 to 2024. Top of the list, Joe Biden, who has received a hefty $4,346,000 from pro-Israel PACs. I wonder if that influences his decision-making process. What do you think? And if you go through, guys, you'll see Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, right down the list. Two million, two million, two million, almost two million, almost two million, seven, one point seven million. You know, and it goes down in incremental. This, you know, but the point is, there's twelve pages. I mean, it's pretty much every single person in our government. That should terrify you, because obviously we're watching how this plays out. Now, let's finish with some important clips. I want you guys to see 
how even the corporate media, which you could decide why that might be happening and you should question whether there's a reason they want you to ask this, right? You really should be wondering if this is designed this way, but something tells me it's not. I think that this is the corporate media just being the shameless corporate media that it is, realizing that they're losing control, that their interests are better served by at the very least getting your trust back so they can keep lying to you down the line. But they are they are going after these guys. Well, I shouldn't even say it like that. This is this is milk toast compared to what I would do if I was in the room with this man. But listen, even the corporate media, they're not buying it anymore. And it's so hilarious to me how frustrated he gets. And appalling that South Africa has decided to play advocate for the devil and serve as the legal arm of I'm going to pause you. Sorry, I just have to say this right out of the gate. The idea that he's saying that they're playing the legal the legal advocate for the devil. They're, they're not doing anything pro-Hamas. They're simply highlighting what Israel's doing under, whether you believe it or not, the act, their claim to be fighting Hamas. The idea that by pointing out their crimes is somehow supporting Hamas is the same analogy they use everywhere, right? You can't, you can't point out that what Russia's saying is true about our elections because that would be pro-Russia sentiment. Well, it's still effing true, isn't it? Or all these different topics we've had like this over the years. The truth is still the truth, whether or not it's in the interest of a foreign country. But that's the point, right? They, the point is that now all of the ICJ and all of South Africa are all Hamas, like the UN or anybody else who even blinks in the wrong direction. There, if I may, Mr. Levy, because... All ...advocate for the devil and serve as the legal arm of Hamas. I'm going to pause you there, if I may, Mr. Levy, because almost every point I put to you or every question I ask you, you respond with an answer that is not relevant to the question. Well, let me don't you love that? <laughs> You're not answering the question. You're going, Hamas, human shields. That's not the point. We're asking you a pointed question that whether or not everything you've said about Hamas is true, the question is, does this, you know, X, Y, and Z, but they go, Hamas, it's all they got. Let me answer directly then. The Please. lawyer there who is serving as the legal representative of Hamas accusing Israel of genocide is presenting a topsy-turvy reality in which Hamas does not exist. It hasn't taken hostages. It so he answers in the exact same way. Let me do it another way. Same thing. Israel decided one bright morning to start bombing Gaza. On October 7th, we suffered an act of genocide. We suffered we an act of genocide when Hamas invaded our country and burned, beheaded, tortured, mutilated, raped, and... All the lies. Just the lie, the lie, the lie, the lie. All the things that have, at the very least, not been backed up by provable evidence. Beheaded, the rapings, all of it. The burnings, except the burnings are true. They just were people were burned by their tank bombings and their Hellfire missiles, which you can clearly prove, seeing as how Hamas did not have the capability to do that. But they don't care. They're in desperate mode. It's only narrative because what else are you going to do at this point? Conducted as many acts of genocide. We suffered we an act of genocide when Hamas invaded our country and burned, beheaded, tortured, mutilated, raped, and abducted as many people as it could as brutally as it could. And in response, we have launched a defensive campaign with very clear objectives to destroy the Hamas regime so that it cannot hurt our people again and to bring back the hostages who are still trapped in the terror dungeons. Right, the one you just killed, by the way. But also on the top of that, you mean the Hamas group that you were funding in order to stop Palestinian state? You can't have both those things exist. You can't pretend that your goal is to remove the group that you funded into power. At the very least, you have to accept the responsibility for why it happened. You can't blame all of Palestine. It's just so painful. And the idea of their hostages to bomb them into safety is hilariously stupid. Because you're clearly using dumb bombs with massive destruction power, gas, and all sorts of other things, white phosphorus, and have been proven to have killed your own people repeatedly. 
So you can't keep pretending that your actions have anything to do with helping these people. Quite frankly, I'm convinced that you don't want them to come home because every time they do, they make you look stupid. Let's go I want to be clear. I've been pursuing them in full accordance of international law. Faith, I want to, obviously. And that is disputed. I want to ask you yeah. about these comments made by Israeli politicians since October the 7th. And hopefully we can bring up the quotes. Here we are. This is your president. It's an entire... Oh, sorry, there's a great point that Sarah brings up in the chat. Right. So let's understand the word genocide, as much as it gets thrown around a lot today, and sometimes in good good case, but like against Russia and so on, the point is that it is a legal definition. So by no stretch of the imagination does what even if every single thing that they said happened on January October seventh, does it doesn't even remotely meet the level of the definition of genocide. You could call it a war crime, sure, if you believe everything they said happened, which most of it's been proven to be false, but that's a great point. Right, so you just swing back around to call what they did genocide when you could prove that doesn't even, even if it's all true, meet that while you're doing everything that absolutely repeatedly gets proven to be genocide. Desperation. Nation out there, seventh, and hopefully we can bring up the quotes. Here we are. This is your president. It's an entire nation out there that's responsible. Uh, he's referring to Gazans. Uh, have a look at this. The next one. We are now actually rolling out the Gaza Nakba. Nakba, as people know, is a term for catastrophe uh, after the 1948 war. No, more accurately, ethnic cleansing. War used by Palestinians about ethnic cleansing. And we all have one common goal, erasing the Gaza Strip from the face of the earth. Right there. That's a Can member see- of the podcast. That's a speaker, deputy speaker of the Knesset why some people believe that you absolutely don't want Palestinians any longer in Gaza. We think we have been very clear, both in word and in deed. In those words? Well, Mr. Vittori does not make decisions on security matters in Israel. We think we've been very clear, both in word and in deed, that the people of Gaza are not... Indeed. That's what he's saying. In word and deed. So no, no, your deeds have not. Your deeds are the reason you're un, you're being accused. You just can't just keep stating that our D our words are no your words from both Netanyahu, who by the way is in the council, and everybody else involved have clearly stated repeatedly, whether in personal capacity or not, you're part of the government that you do not want them to exist. And then your deeds that doesn't even fly. You're obviously doing the opposite. But again, desperation. Our enemy. Our enemy is. We think we've been very clear, both in word and in deed, that the people of Gaza are not our enemy. Our enemy is the Hamas regime, and that is why we have gone further than any army in the history of the world to try to get civilians out of harm's way. Now, we just... No, that's a lie. Amnesty International completely broke that down in multiple examples that proved they lied about how they supposedly warned people and directly targeted civilians. Over and over, they just get caught lying. Now, the form I'm going to had... bring you back to the words of those politicians, if I may. We're now actually rolling out the Gaza Nakba. Nakba, the Palestinian term for ethnic cleansing. Those are the words of a government minister well, in your government. Talk about a little bit of historical context. What the Palestinians. Yeah, skip right past the fact. Oops, he is in our cabinet. So, oops, that is, looks bad. So, let's skip right past it and try to muddy the waters about the word Nakba. No, I'm, referred I'm, to I'm as just the Nakba. asking you about those words. No, so, so I want to talk about that word yep. Nakba. When the... Skip right past it. Palestinians use the word Nakba. They are referring to the consequences of the decision in 1948 to try to scuttle the creation of a Jewish state. Wow. Nobody believes that. I mean, not even Zionist. Like, that, that's so pathetic. Obviously, with the mandate from Britain, they took control of this area and ethnically cleansed it and and committed some of the most extreme things you could imagine. I mean, listen to all sorts of historians, listen to other Israeli Jews that will tell, listen to the oldest living reservist. 
an old member of the Urga, the, the Lehigh party who will proudly discuss what they did to those people. And many of the record on the record they, to argue that it was them trying to, to scuttle the Jewish state because they all hated Jews. It's just so it's independent of any factual basis. It's not what actually happened. All they're you're blaming the victim is what you're doing. That's pathetic for somebody who uses victimhood to make yourself look like you're in control. And under the UN General Assembly resolution, they declared war in 1948. That war, did, that war of annihilation did not go their way. You mean the illegal occupation that they fought against? Yeah, because you destroyed them and you displaced them and you've never let them come back to any semblance of self-determination. And there were consequences as a result. And how is that relevant to what your government minister has said now? Exactly. Right. So, look, you can try to conflate the idea that what they claim. The point is, we all know what they mean when they say Nakba. Right. So when your person comes out and says another, all it means is the same thing that happened then. So whether you think it's their fault or not, he is still acknowledging we want to do that to them. It's just so simple. Because what he is saying is we want to get rid of these people. No, we do not want to get rid of these people. We That's have been very no, we have been very clear in word and in deed as a government and as the prime minister and the defense minister have said. Nope, the prime minister very clearly comes out and said many things we can prove we point to. But we can talk about Neftali Bennett, we can talk about prime uh, uh, Netanyahu. Amalek, they've all made their statements. They're just denying it. That we urge civilians to get to safety in the safe zone. We've been... The safe zone that they bomb with major bombs that don't have... They're dumb bombs that are, you know, you can go round and round. Urging them to go there to the no safe, safe zone. zone. Do you well, know that? The, there is no... The Al-Mawasi zone has been rendered unsafe because Hamas has decided to... Sh ah, so see, he skipped. So she says there are no safe zones. And instead of going, yes, there are, because that you have to say that, right? But they're not. They're, they bomb. He just goes, but this one was not a safe zone because of what they did. Well, are you now acknowledging there are no safe zones? And if that's the case, then you just got caught in a lie. But he'll deflect and deny. Shoot rockets out of it. Hamas decided to shoot rockets out of it. And the United... There's no evidence at all that Amawasi is being used to shoot rockets at all. Quite frankly, I don't even think that's possible. But regardless, the bottom line... Well, no, I, I think it would be. But the bottom line is they need, as Amnesty and multiple international groups said from the earliest point, you don't just get to say this. The impetus is on you to prove that's the case before you act. And they repeatedly don't do that. Nations has said absolutely nothing and about rockets being fired people near the Rafa crossing. Yep. And it is absolutely tragic that Hamas continues to double down on its human shield strategy. See, that's it. That's all you got. So you kill people that were waiting to cross right in the beginning when you told them to go there. Like it's, it's just pathetic. Egypt's called them out. Over and over and over. I don't know whether people, your viewers, understand the extent to which in the last 16 years, Hamas redesigned Gaza's cityscape in order... Yeah, you funded that. You paid them to do... You gave them money. It's on the record. So if that happened, you did that. ...to hide its military assets underneath civilian areas. Which, by the way, the Al-Shifa hospital, we've already gone through this, probably like most of them, have proven that that was built by Israel, probably utilized by Hamas, but not... Be, not the allegation they tried to make about it when that was current today is not it's provably false they got caught in 14,000 lies about it and the bottom line is it made no sense they would use it knowing that the world discusses that as their headquarters it's plainly not the reality they keep getting caught in doing this and we have made extensive warnings for civilians to leave we've placed 70,000 individual phone calls sent nope lie right you can read this for yourself i've shown you many times this is amnesty's report from october 20th where they say that they did, they've investigated all this. And to break it down in the quickest sense, they said that they, one case, they told a guy on the street and then bombed the building right afterward. That's it. Or as it says here, they intentionally carried out attacks that didn't t take precautions to save people. They took out, they carried out attacks that were just, just, just they didn't care who it attacked. 
or who it would hurt, and then they took they carried out attacks that would target civilians. All three of those happened. They proved it in their own investigation. Dropped 7 million leaflets, 14 million phone calls, 14 million text messages. We have been going more than... Yeah, when there's no power. Any army in history, and I'm quite happy to be fact-checked, more warnings than all armies in the history of counterterrorism. It doesn't matter how many warnings you give when you then go on to murder civilians. Warfare put together to urge civilians to get out of harm's way. They are not our enemy. Our this is the Obama argument of just saying, well, they're there, so they're a target. That's not how that works. Our enemy is the rapist regime. There is no such thing out of harm's way. The rapist regime, right? They keep saying that. Right? You have not provided evidence. There's not even a single person who has come forward who publicly stated that that happened to them. Wait, I'm going to pause like, you there. We would we're like the time. creation of safe areas, and we would like the UN to cooperate with us instead of condemning Israel for designating safe zones. Which uh, is Wait a minute. Okay, so you'd like safe zones, but you've essentially submitted that there are none. So how is the UN stopping that? The UN is the one that is, what he's trying to do right there is pretend that the safe zones the UN have allowed people to come to that they then bomb are because the UN is Hamas. So it's all their fault. Without any evidence, of course. What they have spuriously been doing. There's, you know there's no such thing as a safe area in Gaza. We're going to leave We that. hope there very much will be the day after Hamas. Ah, so you have to admit it though. There aren't none. So you keep lying repeatedly and then eventually just go, well, there would be if they weren't there. Your own statements contradict what you said like 14 seconds ago. God, that must be embarrassing for him. Now, here is the next one. Points that South Africa has raised in its prosecution. I mean, one of the key ones is the statements by uh, Mr. Netanyahu and other ministers. Um, one that became very prominent yesterday was the invocation of the biblical reference of Amalek um, and the, uh, the, the sort of the, the, the massacre um, that, uh, that, that followed. I mean, why did Mr. Netanyahu invoke such a violent biblical tale? Because if, we are... If not to prompt a genocide? No. We are committed to destroying Hamas. We are committed to destroying the monsters who perpetrated the bloodiest... So why talk about Amalek? Because it is a very powerful... I don't want to get into biblical exegesis here and well, start having did. a theological debate with you. Because the Prime Minister knows exactly how that will be understood by the Israeli people, who clearly understand biblical references... It would mean kill them all, general. which is what it the Amalek story was about. ...of Hamas. Yep. Because everyone in Israel understands who the enemy is. We've been very clear. Yeah, all Palestine, which he makes the point next. In word and indeed that the Palestinian people are not word our and enemy. And we hope word to live indeed. alongside them in peace in a post-Hamas Gaza. But we are going but to But what happened in the, the biblical terrorists. reference? It wasn't, it wasn't a searching for... The prime a Look, just in the interest of time, because I want to get this one to three hours, the point is that he goes on to show the video, I think he does, he references it at the very least, where the soldiers are dancing, right? The soldiers jumping up and down, and they're saying, we, you know, Amalek, and the, you know, basically make it the, saying that Palestine won't exist. Remember that video, right? The bottom line is, he puts it to him, and all he does is, uh, his argument is, well, you guys are dumb, and only Israelis understand what that means. That's his actual point. No, we all understand what it means, and your people clearly do too, which is why they were chanting to remove all of Palestine. I mean, it's just, de again, desperation. South African case is very sad because they basically decided to become Hamas's lawyer. And I, Same talking points. I paid very close attention to what they said yesterday. And it's as if they mentioned Hamas just to kick the, kick the box, so to speak. They, they mentioned Hamas and they acknowledged that maybe Hamas did some bad things. On a He's talking about the South African case. Well, the point was they made it explicit. That's why they didn't let you play your propaganda video. This isn't about Hamas. It wasn't. It's nothing about you. Now, Hamas is contextually part of it, that you're arguing that what you think you're doing is justified because of it. But from their side of the argument, it has nothing to do with it. 
that, let's just let's just take it face value what you're claiming. Fine. What you're doing is still genocide. Period. And that's the whole point. But he, their argument is if they don't make it all about Hamas, then they're terrorists. October 7th. But the fact that there's a war going on between Israel and Hamas is, is totally uh, 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 forgotten. It's as nope, nope. They actually mention it, but he just has to say that. that Israel is, is, is acting in a vacuum in Gaza. That but, Israel nope. is not acting within the right of every country to self-defense. Well, it's, but it's Mr. Regev, as you know, but as you know, yes, of course, Israel has a right to self-defense. But as you know, as a state, and particularly as a signatory to the convention, Israel does not have an unqualified right of self-defense. And what the South Africans are saying, and as you know, they are supported by other states around the world, what they're saying is the Iran way... Iran and Syria, Well, and, yes, other, and other countries in the global yes, yes. south, and, you know, even your allies, including the United States and the United Kingdom... Usually, ne historically, never do they get this kind of pushback them who have st stood four square behind you in many ways have expressed concerns about Israel's behavior. We saw Lord Cameron, the foreign secretary the other day, saying that he is worried that there may have been a contravention of international humanitarian law by your state in Israel. So this is the point. Of course, you have a right to self-defense. The question is, is how you're prosecuting and using that right. right and the accusation again from South Africa and others to you. And I see I would even go as further to say, as I said before, you, everyone has a right to self-defense. That's a moot point. The point becomes that it's obviously there's a line where it's no longer self-defense. You can't just keep arguing self-defense and just committing murder. So either if you, either if you still, but his point is still sound. I argue that they've surpassed the, whatever you might've argued was a time frame of self-defense a long time ago. Is that you are abusing that right. So, so, Lewis, let's be clear. I'm willing to have a serious conversation with, with, uh, with the Brits, with the Americans uh, about uh, Israel's tactics. Uh, we're always willing to hear uh, the thoughts of our friends and to engage and can yeah. we do a better job. That's a good conversation to have. But that's not what the South Africans are doing. The South Africans have adopted uh, full you know, life. How do you say it? In total, the Hamas narrative and their... I mean, think about how wild that is. That's not even remotely what's happening. Again, it's so desperate to point out or argue that they've just adopted the Hamas narrative or they're the acting as the legal counsel for the devil. Like, it's just so childish. What they've presented is scathingly provable. That's why they have to do this. Using Israel of genocide. This is a baseless claim. I think the Americans uh, said this is without any merit. Uh, but this, uh, this charge they of genocide is totally preposterous. It's yeah, outrageous. But Mr. Regev, I mean, isn't the case, isn't it the point that you have laid yourself open to that accusation in the manner in which you've conducted this war? 85% yeah. of Gaza's population have been displaced. The World Food Programme has said that 80% of the most hungry people in the world right now are in Gaza. That's Think about that, right? And so the point is, this is the kind of pushback they never get. They never use just basic facts that you can prove. Now, what's your response? Like, they never used to get that kind of pushback. They just state the lie, and it would be tiptoeing around it. That directly arises from the way in which you have prosecuted not just the war, but the way in which you have dealt with the humanitarian situation in Gaza. This was not the only way you could have conducted this war. Exactly. That is the point. There were other options to you. You have not availed yourself of those options. Well, with your permission, I'll, I'll address what you raised in your question. It's true Please. that a large proportion, 85% of the population has been displaced, but why were they displaced? Because we asked them to leave areas of combat so they'd get out of harm's way. And that's not justified. You don't just get to displace millions of people so you can flatten their homes and say, well, Hamas might have been there. Again, I just, in the interest of time, watch this. My point is simply to show you that interview after interview, these people, you know, it was post-October 7th, even then, people were super sensitive. And if you even asked a question, they got aggressive on you, right? They've lost control of this so far that the corporate media is clearly, even, even with a half-hearted engagement with the facts, making them look like they're maniacs. Here's another one. This guy just, this guy makes has earned himself the biggest lying C of the week. That's what he said. Here's just, it's just, this is somebody who called in 
why he's on a show, and this is what they said. Be debunked by Heretz, BBC, CNN. That is the truth. That you are spreading your lie. Your Heretz newspaper has even stated Apache helicopters killed their own civilians. Yeah, that's a fact. Heretz covered it. It's been proven by multiple people, including the people in those helicopters. But this is how he responds, because all you have are lies. That is a fact. Anybody here watching, look it up. The question of reality, Israel is illegally occupied. It did not start in October the 7th. People are researching Shahada, what's your question? They're the standing history context. <laughs> that's, that's the response you get right there when you base, state basic facts. And of course... Max shares this, the full Wynet investigation on October 7th, confirmation of the mass Hannibal friendly fire orders, which we've already gotten from colonels and different people involved, 70 cars hit by Israeli helicopters, tanks or anti-tank missiles, and at least in some cases, everyone in the vehicle was killed, including as Max's investigation pointed out that one of the women that they claim was raped was pulled out of a car after she was killed. And you could you could tell by the rigor mortis and the way the body was set. I, it's, it's just so th- this right there is one of the biggest examples for me of why I believe the IDF altered the scene. You could take that for however you will. I think some of the worst things that happened there were done after the fact to cover up what happened. In any case, here is the full investigation. You can read for yourself. All, everything in this, you've heard it from us already, other than you know deeper information about the proving of it. They did this to their own people. Now, just to end. It's so frustrating to me that they're basing all of this on the argument they're trying to save these people. And and I like I told you really early on, they're making this weird push because apparently it's it's abnormal or not, different and, and rare that the, the, the red hair, essentially. And these were the Bebus family, right? These ones right here. Red hair. Now, for whatever reason, they use them really early. They made them, they, all these different posters and things. They, they were really leaning into these specific ones. Now, the sad reality, which breaks my heart, is they're dead. They've been killed, admitted by the father in Gaza because of the bombing of Israel, which is not should not be that hard for you to wrap your mind around. They have killed many different hostages already. Gas, bombings, shooting directly, Hannibal directly before they went there. But the crazy part to me is that this they admitted this, that they have died, and they continue to use their memory, they, or rather the fact that they claim they're still alive to justify what they're doing, and then continue to bomb where they're held, as, this, as, as, this, as Israel wrote right here. We will not stop until each and every one of them is home. Well, I said, I said not stop bombing, you mean, because that makes sense, right? You'll bomb them right back to safety? We, see all, we all see your lies. Israelis are calling you out as well. And they keep using these kids. Here's a video they just put out. Oh, and the point was, guys, they know this, right? Hamas has already told them. The father's already spoken up. They put the video out. Now, of course, you could argue it's all lies. But remember, during the last ceasefire, the pause, Hamas tried to return their bodies. Remember that? I made this point many times. And that is what ruined the process. Because I don't believe Israel wanted to admit that they were killed. But here they put out a propaganda video on the 18th, which just makes me sick. Dear Kfir, even though you may not see this from the Hamas tunnels, we want you to know that, as you mark your first birthday, unfortunately in captivity, 
All of us in Israel and around the world are thinking of you. You see what I mean? It just, it makes my skin crawl. This is being made by people who know that they're dead, who don't care and still want to use their memory. This Eli David on January. Same thing. One year old today. Well, I made the same point. Liar. Even as you know, they've been killed by the IDF. You still carry on using them, you despicable human being. Makes me sad. Same thing. 100 days. Bring them home now. You can read it for yourself. And here's what Zachary Foster said to end. I think that was it. Oh, it's a couple more. He says, if you care about getting the hostages released alive, you should adamantly oppose be adamantly opposed to this war because the imperatives of continuing the war and the imperatives of getting the hostages out are in direct contradiction. You shouldn't need to explain that. I mean, it's, again, self-evident. The bombings are obviously, at the very least, capable of killing people in which you don't know where they are. I mean, you shouldn't need to explain that to people. I know you guys get it. But they're literally killing their own people and acting like they're the ones they're fighting for. Middle East observer, Hamas put out, the Kasim Brigades put out this video of the people that are still there. Now, of course, it's not hard to imagine that they put them to this, but the point's still the same. It, they're, what they're saying in this, I am in constant danger everywhere. You, if you were, It's not about Hamas. Now, I, I'm not pretending I know that they're not being abused or whatever else. It's certainly possible. Everyone who's come home has said the opposite. But he's simply saying that the bombings and what they're doing, the lack of food and water because they won't let aid through, it's all because of what Israel's doing. And they're saying, we're still alive. Bring us home while we are still alive. Israel's actions is guaranteeing they won't come home. And again, I think that's exactly by design. And as we wrote, as we covered on January 10th, they, Egypt, not Qatar, Egypt was trying to mediate a deal to actually end the whole thing. And they were close. And then Israel assassinated somebody in, I think this was in Lebanon. And that put a stop to it by design. Now, Hollow Dream shares that this is what the, uh, uh, Hamas is saying in, in regard to the deals going forward, a new proposal for a prisoner exchange deal that includes a three month ceasefire and the withdrawal of the army from Gaza, which flatly refused by Israel, no matter what they don't want these prisoners home. If it, if it means that they have to stop what they're doing, that shows you everything. The proposal includes the release of thousands of Palestinian prisoners, including leaders, which they don't want either. The proposal includes the return of displaced Palestinians to the Northern Gaza strip, which they don't want either. The proposal includes establishing the administration with international funding for the reconstruction of Gaza. They don't want any of that. That's the point. I think they're doing this to call their bluff, to make it clear to the world that Israel doesn't want any of the thing. Basically, that they want their agenda at the expense of their own hostages, at the expense of the people of Palestine, at the expense of anybody who gets in the way. I think it's plainly obvious, like most of what we talked about today. So we will get into a hell of a lot more. I've probably about another two hours I could have done with more stuff to talk about. But I, I think this stuff is not just important. It doesn't even do it justice. The stuff we talked about in the beginning, I mean, my God, I, I, I really, if there's one thing that truly keeps me up, that makes me like the stuff that really worries me is that direction. As I've made clear many times, the foreign policy stuff, guys, I mean, this just needs to stop. That's why I, I, it's so important that we continue to call this out and take physical real world action. I don't mean violence. Because it, both are important. 
People need to see what's really going on in hopes that we can maybe stop just one more person from being killed with poison gas or white phosphorus or whatever else is being used on the ground that we don't know about, let alone the, the kinetic bombs that are dumb bombs and 3,000 pounds and designed to kill as many people as possible. Speak up. Your voice matters. One person can make all the difference. Speak up, stand up, stay the course, fight for the people that need your support. Thank you for tuning in today, guys. I just really want to see this stop. I love you all, as always. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.